0: Let's do it.
1: And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, Major Jr.
2: Hey, Connor McDavid of the Erie Otters. Matt Barzell of Seattle Thunderbirds. I'm Jonathan Yerwido from the St. John Sea Dogs. And Braden Holpe for the Saskatoon Blades. Gabriel Landescog. I'm playing for the Kitchen Rangers.
3: Hi, this is Sean Couturier from the Drummondville Voltageur.
4: Carter Hart of the Everett Silvertips. This
3: is Taylor Hall of the Windsor Spitfires. Nathan McKinnon from the Halifax Mooseheads. NCAA.
2: Hey, this is Jack Eichel. I play at Boston University. I'm Hey, it's Cale McCarve. Hey, this is Jack Drury. Hey, it's Kyle Connor. Hi, this is Ian Mitchell of the Denver University Pioneers. It's Morgan Barron from Cornell University. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. Hello, this is uh, Jerry York, the coach at Boston College.
5: The World Juniors. My name is Andres Fischko from
0: uh, Team Russia.
3: Hey, it's Joel Ferby from Team USA. It's Norris Sider from Germany. I'm Philip Röberg of the Team Sweden. It's Ellis hall Hey, it's Nicola Ehlers.
2: It's Matt Sogard. Hi, it's Timo Meyer. Hi, this is Jordan Eberle. i Team Canada. The NHL Draft. This is Alexis
3: Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic.
2: Ice cream bicep from the Sudbury Wolves. Connor Zary from the Camelot Blazers. I'm Alexander Holst. I'm Lucas Freeman Cole Perfetti of the Saginaw Spirit. Dylan Holler from the Wisconsin Badgers.
5: Hey, it's Jake Sanderson, at for Team USA.
2: Braden Schneider, Katie Dooley. Here's Marco Rossi. I'm from the other towns And more. Excellent!
1: This is The Pipeline Show.
5: The 2021 NHL Draft is a matter of days away, and we've got you prepped and primed for another conversation, uh, part two of our special with the Scouts, getting you set for the the big event this coming weekend. Welcome to the Pipeline Show, everybody. My name is Gee Flaming, and uh, again, as usual, I want to welcome all the newcomers to the program. I I know at this time of year there are those casual NHL fans who don't normally pay attention to junior or college hockey but they want information on the players who are draft eligible. So uh, episodes like this one and last week's show, part one of this uh, two-parter, those get a lot of attention as do uh, all the individual segments, the interviews with the draft eligible players. So welcome to you if you fall into that category. I hope that you enjoy this week's episode and that you've gone back and and listen to some of the past episodes and that you like what you hear and maybe you'll just decide to come back on a regular basis that would be fantastic for those of you who are returning listeners obviously welcome back and i appreciate each and every one of you especially if you're leaving comments or ratings or rankings uh, wherever you get your copy of the pipeline show from whether it's a spotify or itunes or wherever it is the Podbean, etc that always helps and uh Might also introduce new listeners to the program, so that would be fantastic. And lastly, if you are one of the growing number of patron supporters at patreon.com slash the Pipeline Show, I hope you're enjoying your early access to all the interviews, all the segments that you hear on a full episode of the Pipeline Show. They're usually available in individual segments, days ahead for patrons who sign up for a couple of bucks a month. Of course, the Pipeline Show is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky in all of Alberta. Located in Leduc and Spruce Grove, uh, two towns near, just on the outside of Edmonton. And that's the only place that you can get it. But if you're in Western Canada, you can get your jerky on by contacting either location. They will take orders of any size, and they'll ship it to you. The website is wilhockbeefjerky.com, and wilhawk is spelled W-I-L-H-A-U-K. Let's get to it, as uh, there are two big news stories this week in uh, Prospect Hockey World. Uh, One of them positive, one of them not so positive. Let's start with the positive. That would be Luke Prokop of the Calgary Hitmen who took to social media a couple of days ago and uh, let everybody know that he is a gay athlete. And I first saw the notice on uh, Twitter probably four or five hours after he'd made the announcement. And my first thought was, okay, how's this going to be received? An overwhelmingly supportive uh, response from the hockey world, which is fantastic to see. I'm so glad For him, that it's gone this way. You know, I expected his his family, obviously, and his teammates. And I guess I shouldn't say obviously, because that's not the case for everybody. But lots of support from his teammates with the Calgary Hitmen and the National Predators organization who drafted him and signed him. And I also saw some messages of support from other players around the NHL, guys who he's probably never met before. But, you know, like Scott Lawton of the Philadelphia Flyers had a nice message. I saw somebody else as well. I can't remember the name right now, but I just think it's fantastic that uh, and uh, apparently I don't know if this is 100 percent true, but uh, it sounds like Luke is the first openly gay player in the NHL or at least signed to an NHL contract and how inspirational that must be for other players or other young players who are in a, you know, in a, in the same situation but didn't really have anybody to look up to who now can look to him. It's it's hard for me to uh, put myself in that position and wonder what it must be like, but it's got to be a weight off. And I can't imagine what it has been like for him. At times he, he's mentioned I've seen some um, some articles and things about you know what it's like inside of a locker room. And I know I've got a 16 year old son and I can hear it even just he and his friends playing video games and stuff. Some of the comments that are made and you got to crack down on that as a parent. You know I'm like, dude, that's not okay and use derogatory language thinking, and this is the case when I was a kid, you know, I would call friends by, you know, that F word that we don't use anymore, but I would use it as I would goof or dummy or something like that, not meaning it as what it actually means, but that doesn't make it okay. It's still derogatory. And for somebody who is gay, here's that, how offended and how disrespectful that must be. So thankfully, the world has evolved and people have evolved and we're moving on from that. And I certainly have learned to better watch my language for sure. But I can imagine that there's been times in Luke Prokop's life where he's in the dressing room with the boys and, you know, whether they mean it that way or not, hearing words like fag or fairy can probably be pretty uncomfortable. You know, I'm not in that position, so I don't know, but I would have to assume. So that's the positive story. Good for Luke Prokop and great for the the hockey world, to come out and support him in this decision. I, I honestly, I haven't seen any sort of negative responses or even like trolls on Twitter or anything like that, which is great. Maybe I'm just missing it, but I think that's fantastic. Let's get to the negative story, and that, of course, is with Logan Mayu, the uh, defenseman with the uh, London Knights, who actually didn't play in London this year, ba- has barely played in the OHL, uh, spent this season, a good chunk of this season over in Sweden, And it was in Sweden where he got into some legal trouble uh, because when I I really don't want to get into the details and I don't want to make light of the issue. Let's just summarize by saying he committed a crime involving a young lady and it was first brought to my attention back in May, early May, from an NHL uh, contact that I have who also mentioned, and this takes me back to last year with the Mitchell Miller situation. You remember Mitchell Miller is the player who was uh, eventually drafted by the Arizona Coyotes and then they cut ties with him so did North Dakota because his past indiscretions and that's using the word lightly uh, came to light and the public outcry was so significant that the Coyotes and the uh, Fighting Hawks decided uh, we can't have that and you'll recall last year well you might not recall because I didn't put it I didn't actually release the uh, the interview but I did an interview with Mitchell Miller promoted it and that's when an NHL contact said, "Did you know that uh, this was in his past?" Which I didn't, and I've, I've told this story before, but uh, I decided not to air the interview. Well, that same NHL contact got in touch with me in May of this year and said, "There's this happening with uh, Logan Mayu," and at that point, I was like, "Well, I'm not gonna get him on the show." But because I' not in, I don't have all the details of what's happening. You know, I don't, I don't even talk about it really, and maybe that's that's a bad thing too, but. Uh, I don't think I'm in a position really to start breaking a story where I don't have all the facts and I don't have the resources to follow up on that story. Uh, but it has come out now. I, I know uh, Frank Cervalli did a terrific job reporting that entire story. And I think the important thing is here, and uh, there'll be a lot of people saying, OK, it's Logan He's seven. He was 17 years old at the time. These things happen and move on. But there's a victim here. And that's who we should be concerned, more concerned with. Until she says it's okay, then I don't think it's okay to just move on. The victim is who we should be concerning ourselves with right now. Now, does that mean that uh, he shouldn't be drafted? He shouldn't ever play again? Well, that's going to be up to the hockey teams who are in the position to make that call. Uh, I personally, I, I think it would be very risky for a team to draft him, especially now that that is uh, widely public notice, because you're going to have to explain it two-year fan base. So is Logan Mayu a good player? It sounds like he is. It, by all accounts, he, he could be a, you know, just based on talent and projection, could be a first-round pick. I know the London Knights have said that he's going to be on the team this year, but there's been some public outcry about that as well. So um, it, it is definitely a risk for a team if they're going to draft him. Personally, I would not, but that's just me. All right, the poll question is out there now. I worded it like this. Knowing what we know now, if you were running an NHL team, would you draft potential first-round talent Logan Mayu? Or as a fan, would you be okay with your team selecting him? We'll see where the votes go from here. All right, let's get to the show. All of my guests will join me courtesy of the Troubled Monk hotline. You can find your beverages of choice at troubledmonk.com/shop. When you found what you want, you order it online. Make sure you use promo code PIPELINE, and if you are in Alberta between the cities of Calgary and St. Albert, that includes the cities in between, like Sherwood Park and Edmonton and Leduc and Airdrie and Red Deer and Olds and all of those towns in between along Highway 2, and some just off of it. I know Sylvan Lake is involved. Use promo code PIPELINE. You can get those beverages delivered right to your door absolutely free. The delivery is free. I've had a chance to try a couple of uh, new ones for me. The Velour Pantsuit. That's a Key Lime Goss. I don't know if I'm pronouncing Goss correctly. It's G-O-S-E. It might be ghost, as in rhyming with Dose. I don't know. Uh, the Velour Pantsuit was good. And another different one for me yesterday. The uh, Bright as a Button English Bitter. And uh, I actually quite like that one. I drank it out of the can, the way I, I should have poured it uh, with the next one I open. I'll pour it into a, a beer stein or a mug to see how bright it is. Because I'm not sure where the name comes from. But... But it was tasty, and they have lots of beverages of choice, not just beer, but they have soda and they have spirits as well. Go to troubledmonk.com shop, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Bottom line, use promo code PIPELINE, and they will take extra special care of you. All right, let's get to the guest list. And we started this last week where, in case you missed last week's show, we had five scouts come on the program including uh, Chris Peters from Hockey Sense, Mitch Brown from Elite Prospects, Ryan Wagman from McKeens was with us, uh, Tony Ferrari from Dauber Prospects, as well as uh, Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet. They were all on the show last week and asked them all the exact same question. Give me six guys that you think you're higher on for the 2021 NHL draft than the consensus out there, and then one guy that's on the opposite of that, somebody you like but not as much as everybody else. And uh, they knocked it out of the park. That show has been very popular. Well, we're doing again this week. And uh, the five guests that you're going to hear from this week, and this is the order they're going to join us. Derek Newmeyer from Future Considerations, or now FC Hockey. He makes his first appearance on the Pipeline Show. He'll be our leadoff guest. He'll be followed by another newcomer. That would be Josh Tesler from Smart Hockey, based, as you would guess, out of Massachusetts. Uh, from there, we'll have a conversation with uh, Ross McLean, longtime uh, member from uh, Hockey Canada and a skills conditioning coach, currently doing some uh, consulting for a uh, WHL team. Wanted to get his opinion on some players, and uh, he gave us a, a great list as well. Next up is Scott Wheeler from The Athletic, and it, we were trying to figure it out. It's either his first appearance on the show or it's his first appearance in a really long time. Either way, uh, it won't be the last. Scott Wheeler, great guest. Uh, I think you're really going to enjoy that conversation. And we will close it out with another newcomer to the program, Gavin Chasson, who uh, is the guy who created Recruit Scouting. It's a pretty new scouting outfit out there, only been in operation for a year or two, I guess a couple of years now because they did last year's draft as well. So some new takes and some new people for you to get to know here on this week's episode of the Pipeline Show. So lots we're going to get to. Well, we're going to start it off with Derek Newmeyer from FC Hockey. Six guys that he thinks he or FC Hockey like better than the uh, the general consensus out there. And one guy that's on the flip side. Lots to get to here this week on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Hop down to DeBras, gains a
0: Tiger-Lion, shoots, scores!
6: Hey, it's Jake DeBrusque of the Swift Current Broncos, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show.
5: The Troubled Monk Brew of the Week. Hey, this one's great on ice. Why is that, bud?
6: Troubled Monk, Troubled Tea. This surprising beverage is low in sugar, zero carbonation, and has an unmistakable real tea taste. Alberta's first and only hard iced tea. Player
2: Comparable, Jack Eichel, silky smooth and super skilled, but a little softer and enjoyed by all.
5: Troubled Monk, visit the tap room in Red Deer or get free same day home delivery in Alberta by placing an order at TroubledMonk.com. Troubled Monk, craft beverages worth sharing.
1: You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Keith Flaming.
5: Yo, ding dong, man. Ding
6: dong. Ding dong, yo.
5: All right, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Keith Flaming. Of course, the program is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky in all of Alberta. And my next guest, uh, I believe he's from Alberta as well. I think you're down in Calgary, aren't you, Derek?
2: That is correct, yeah. I'm originally from Saskatchewan, but I've been based in Calgary since 2016.
5: All right, terrific. Well, I'm sure you're no stranger to beef jerky. Uh, Derek Newmeyer is my guest. He's a uh, the head video scout for, for Future Considerations. Now we just go by FC Hockey, but uh, I keep wanting to say Future Considerations. Uh, I've known Aaron Vickers for a long time. Uh, I, uh, thank you for making the time. I appreciate it. I know with the draft here right around the corner, things are getting pretty busy, uh, and I know you guys have been busy. For those who haven't had a chance to look at the, uh, the draft package yet from future considerations, FC Hockey, uh, tell them how, uh, how they get it.
2: Uh, yeah, the, the best way is through our website, um, NHLentryDraft.com. Uh, you can sign up for like a membership where you have access to all of our scouting reports, or you can just go straight for the draft guide itself. And it's, it's a doozy this year. We got really comprehensive reports on 300 different players. Hmm. So if you're a big draft guy or a really big fan of a specific team, and in a couple of weeks you want to find out, hey, who are all these guys that my favorite team picked in the fifth round or the sixth round or the seventh round, and you want to learn more about them, well, our draft guide is a great place to do that.
5: Perfect. I know throughout the year I've been using the uh, the draft simulator to. I got. I'm in a fantasy league or a sim league, and I'm trying to figure out if the guys I like will be available for me when we do our draft uh, here in a, in a couple of months, but uh, so I've had a lot of fun with that. I imagine that's a pretty popular tool with the, with the general public too.
2: Yeah, it is. It's definitely fun to simulate that kind of stuff and, you know, hopefully look forward to your favorite team drafting a certain player, but uh, you know, there's only so much we can predict this year. It's, yeah. it's been a weird year uh, and it's, it's going to be really hard to predict exactly what's going to happen uh, next weekend, possibly more so than, than most years. So it's, it's going to be a doozy, to say the least.
5: All right. Well, let's go with uh, here's what we did. I asked everybody, uh, yourself included, to give me six guys that either you or the, the outlet that you're representing, in this case, uh, FC Hockey, uh, that you guys have ranked probably higher than the consensus uh, for that player. Uh, and then also at the end, we'll talk about one guy that you probably have ranked lower than the consensus and why that might be. Not necessarily a means that you don't like him, but you just don't like him as much as most people seem to. Uh, and that's okay. So let's start that and we'll go with your, your hire of the, the guys on the list that you gave me. And, and that would be a Swedish defenseman, Simon Edvinson, who obviously you just look at him and there's lots to like because he's six foot five and 210 ish pounds. But why do you have him ranked as high as you do, which, correct me if I'm wrong, seventh overall?
2: Yeah, he, he ended up at seventh on our list, but there were certainly some discussion about bumping him higher. And he's a guy who who does show up all over the place on various rankings. It's hard to get a good consensus feeling for him. Um, I argue to have him a little bit higher Uh, Some other scouts in our team uh, wanted him a little bit lower. So we kind of settled in at that seventh spot. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that's where he went, if not a little bit later. But yeah, Edmondson is is really interesting. Um, There's a lot of different things to like about him. And there are some some things that are concerning about him right now. But the key when it comes to scouting is you're you're never drafting a guy for who he is right now. You want to find out what he's going to be in the future. And you want to draft a guy for what he's going to be when he's done his development, you know, when he's had access to NHL level development coaches and systems, and, you know, he grows into his body a little bit more. And and with Edmondson, there's just, there's just too much upside. There's too much potential there to, to be too down on him. You know, he's not just a huge body at about six foot four or six foot five, but he's an incredibly agile skater. He's really confident You know, he loves to have the puck on his stick. He's got sublime hands, you know, for a big guy, the way he's able to move the puck, it's really rare. It's really hard to find someone who can do what he does. And, you know, there's there's a physical element to his game. Sometimes he can be a a hard guy to move around or to win space against in board battles or in front of his net. You know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of growth potential there. You know, you can teach guys, certain things you you can work on a player's skating to a certain degree you can work on their puck skills you can teach them you know awareness and systems but there's there's some things that you just can't teach and with Edmondson he's got so much that other players just simply don't have You you can't take a smaller player and give them the range that Evenson has with his reach and his skating ability. Now there are concerns about his puck movement and his decision-making. And that's something that, you know, I don't think any scout would deny. He is a little turnover prone at times at the worst of times. He is a lot turnover prone. So that's something that, you know, that holds him back a little bit right now that gives some scouts, um, some pause, but you know, you have to wonder just how much of that can be worked on over time. You know, to a certain degree, hockey sense, it's it's a little bit ingrained, but, you know, it's not set in stone. You see guys who they might not have everything quite figured out at 18 or sometimes even 19 or 20, but they figure it out down the line as long as the team that drafts them is patient with them. And I think you have to draft Edmondson relatively high just based off of that because if if everything comes together for him, if he's able to clean up his passing, if he's able to – Uh, make his games a little bit safer and a little bit more consistent and reliable, any team that's going to pass up on him might really regret it down the road just because if everything clicks, the the total upside, the complete package that he's going to be, is going to be very, very rare and very special.
5: Now, I only saw him at the U18 and Canada really took it to the Swedes, so it it wasn't a great tournament for a a lot of the Swedes uh, in that regard, Uh, but he had four points in the tournament. But he did play for three other squads this year at three different levels, in the SHL and, and the Allsvenskan League, both of them pro, and with the J20 squad over in Frölunda as well. Of what you saw, at which level was he most impressive?
2: Um, yeah, probably at the, the junior level. I mean, just because it is the easier level for, for a 17-year-old player compared to playing against men. But I, I watched him in the Allsvenskan, and I did like what I saw. You know, it's, it's not an easy league, even though it's the second-tier in Sweden, but I thought he acclimated himself really well after a few games. You know, he didn't shy away from, you know, carrying the puck up ice. He didn't shy away from trying to make plays or from, from playing physical. I thought he showed really well for a guy in, in a bit of a difficult situation. And actually you bring up a good point um, with the fact that he played in so many different places this season. I think that's something that might've had a negative effect on him. You know, he didn't have as much time, to kind of acclimate himself into a system to get familiar with his coaches or his teammates. And, you know, maybe when you're in a new environment, maybe you try to do a little too much at times, maybe you get a little bit nervous or a little bit unsure of what to do. So I'm willing to give him a little bit more leash because of the changes he was going through. You know, if he had spent his entire season with one team and we're still seeing the same mistakes over and over and over again, you know, then that's a bigger cause for concern. But I think you have to take that into consideration that he didn't exactly have, you know, a, a stable season, and that could be something that you know led to some of the problems that we saw with him.
5: All right, that's Simon Edvinson. Let's move on to the next guy, also a defenseman, but a lot closer to home. Corson Kuhlman's who played for the Brooks Bandits this past year uh, when he could only eight games there and played almost as many for Canada at the World U18. Uh, what did you make of him from what you've seen over the last couple of years in Brooks, and uh, wh- where do you have him ranked?
2: Well, we have Kuhlman's ranked uh, 12th on our list, and I think that's higher than almost anyone. And, you know, he's a guy that's a lot lower on some other lists. And, and personally, I don't I don't quite understand it um, because, like Edmondson, there's just so much to like about him. And, you know, if everything clicks with Coolman's you're going to get a player down the road that is so much better than a lot of other guys in this sort of range. Now, obviously there, there is risk for similar reasons as Edmondson, but I think the positives outweigh the negatives with him. You know, he's a big body at six foot two, he's physical, he's incredibly athletic. Like he's a really athletic uh, young player. He's a great skater. You know, he's got a great motor and great conditioning and he's a guy who can play 25 minutes a night and rush up and down the ice and not break too much of a sweat, which is not easy to find he 's confident with the puck he 's good with the puck he 's got a great shot, he can make plays and this is a guy who put up a point per game this year in the AHL He put up some points at the u a teams, even though he was playing in more of a defensive role there 's just a lot of different elements to like about him and there 's a lot of growth potential you know he's, he's, you can tell that he 's far from finished with what he is he 's not done developing he 's probably going to Add some more muscle to his frame, and that's really appealing. I think it's also worth mentioning with with Kuhlman's. You know, he's a guy who who takes risks. He pushes the pace. You know, he likes to have the puck on his stick and likes to rush it up ice and go deep in the offensive zone with it. And there are some times where it can backfire on him. Um, like Edvinson, he can be a little turnover prone at times, and it's something that'll definitely have to be worked out of his game or or uh, sanded down a little bit. But what's nice about him is that. Brooks kind of tells them to play that way. Hmm. Like Brooks is not shy about being an offensive team. For anyone that follows the AJHL, I mean Brooks has a reputation. They often lead the AJHL in goals, um, sometimes by a hilariously large margin. They like to play what's known as fire wagon hockey. You know, they want their defensemen by design to push the play up ice and take chances. So I think it's you know expected in a way. If you have a 17-year-old defenseman and, you're, and his coaches are telling him, you know, push, go, go, carry the puck up ice, if he's going to turn it over, I mean, you got to expect that to a certain degree because he is still 17, playing against a, a lot of guys who are 18 and 19 and 20. And, you know, he was the number one defenseman for that team. So he was, he was the guy. He was the one pushing the pace and handling the biggest workload. So I think that once he's got a little bit more time to – kind of refine his game and you know maybe he's not a number one or a number two on a team but i think once he finds a role and is able to maybe take a little bit less of a workload i think you'd see a a lot more effectiveness out of what he brings on a game-by-game basis
5: Uh, i'm glad you mentioned brooks they are and they're a defenseman factory i mean they've put out some some high-end caliber defensemen and he's going to a program that's also known for developing defensemen. So really good to see him going to uh, Wisconsin. He's going to have uh, Marco Siki on the bench with him, and uh, that's going to work out well for him. So that's Carson Kuhlman's. Uh Let's go to uh, a, a goaltender. And uh, you have a couple yeah, at FC Hockey. You have a couple of them ranked in the first round, and uh, this would be the, the second guy. But Sebastian Kosa, who I happen to know, he's in my backyard here with the Edmonton Oil Kings. Uh, so uh, I'll shut up and you give me your unbiased uh, opinion because I'm biased.
2: Kosa <laughs> uh, is—he's really special, and in, in my personal opinion, I don't think there's a whole ton of daylight between uh, Jesper Walsted, who we've, we've got eighth overall, and Kosa, who we have at fifteenth. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if Kosa goes even higher than that. He's—he is a really unique goaltender. It's really, really rare to see goaltenders that are his size at about six foot six and roughly 207 pounds, but guys that don't rely on their size too much and guys that can play a quick and athletic game. You know, he's not just a guy who drops down to his knees and hopes the puck hits him. He moves around his crease really well. His footwork is really good. His reflexes are really good. He's got a quick mind. Like he tracks the player really well. And, and that's really rare. It's, it's hard to find goalies who have this kind of package and uh, i mean the results certainly speak for themselves i mean he put up great numbers last year in the whl with the oil kings this past season you know the oil kings were a good team but you can't take away how effective he was at at the team's overall success he was almost unbeatable uh, i forget exactly what his save percentage was but i think it was the high uh, 930s maybe even the 940 like and that's that's unheard of for, for the WHL level, even in a small sample size of about 20 games. You know, there's just so much to like about him. And he still seems almost a little bit like underdeveloped. You know, he hasn't had a lot of experience at the international level. He didn't get a whole ton of games last year because of the pandemic. And again, this year because of the pandemic. So I, in my opinion, I think he's still just scratching the surface of, of what he's capable of and what he's going to be. And when you look at all the tools on display here, I mean, the sky is the limit for this guy when it comes to goaltending.
5: The stats, are just for the record, a 157 goals against, a 941 save percentage this year. Your your point is well made, though. 19 games, so it's small sample size. Quite often, you know, you know, you look back over the years, uh, Carter Hart and, and Dustin Wolf and Everett. You look Carter Hart's got great numbers, and you think, okay, is it him or is it the team? And you look, and Dustin Wolf's also got great numbers, so you kind of wonder. With the Oil Kings, Coase has got those numbers. The the uh, The backup this year was Colby Knight, 885 safe percentage and a 225 goals again. So big difference there. Nothing against Colby Knight. He's also draft eligible, and he was a, a raw rookie this year. But um, I don't think you can just say that it's because of how good the Oil Kings were that Coase is just riding on their coattails, so to speak.
2: Yeah, and it's not like the Oil Kings are known for this kind of thing either. I mean, with Everett, they have a reputation by now for playing stout defensive hockey, for developing defensemen well, and developing goaltenders well. That's not really the Oil Kings. I mean, it's not to say that they haven't been able to do it, because they have, but they don't have that same set reputation that's yep. really, really uh, friendly for goaltenders or defensive players, quite like Everett is.
5: Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Alright, let's move on. Uh, Isak Rossian, who Somebody, whoever drafts him, is going to call him Isaac Rosen. But uh, <laughs> in Sweden, it's Isak Rossian. Uh, he played for Alexand this past year. Uh, and again, all these guys who played in the SHL as 18-year-olds, virtually no production this year because they only get five or six minutes. So uh, what did you see from Rossian when you saw him, probably at the World U18, that convinced you uh, he's number 16 on your list? You know, it,
2: he's an interesting case study. You know, I watched him at the, the J20 level. Uh, their top junior league in Sweden, and I liked him. And then I watched him in the SHL, and I liked him. He was a guy who, you know, he wasn't scared by the challenge. He he pushed the pace. You know, he was playing with a lot of energy and showcased a really good motor. But, yeah, like you said, he wasn't getting a ton of opportunity. He was playing a bottom six role, not getting a lot of minutes, no power play time. But it was at the U18s where he really, really shined. You know, that is a big tournament, especially in a year like this. And it's always interesting to see which guys are able to elevate their games in that kind of environment, especially when it comes to European players who are, you know, sometimes for the first time all season playing against their peers, playing against their guys their age at their level. And at that tournament, he was stellar. I mean, in in many ways, he was almost as good as uh, Fabian Lassell, who is considered the top Swedish forward in this draft class. You know, he put up a ton of points, he was dangerous. He was killing penalties well and generating scoring chances while shorthanded. He was making plays. He was finishing plays. He was you know, getting around defenders and creating odd man rushes for himself. And what was really impressive about his play in that tournament is he did a lot of it kind of single-handedly. He was on Sweden's second line with uh, LaSalle on the top line with uh, Simon Robertson and uh, Liam Dower Nilsson. So Rosen didn't have a ton of support on his line. He didn't have a ton of support on the power play unit he was playing on. And he still managed to succeed and be one of the best players in the tournament. So I really I really like what he brings. And I was, I was happy to watch him at the U18s because it helped open my eyes a little bit to what he could do in that kind of environment. And, you know, he's, he's interesting in the sense that he's got a lot of skill. He's fast. He's great with the puck. He can make plays. He can shoot. But he also brings a, a good energy game. I think he's fairly responsible defensively. So he's a guy that you could probably put into the bottom of your roster and he'll hold his own, you know, he'll chip in some points. He can, you know, supply some energy and some quickness that can put pressure on your opponents. But when he's ready, you know, a few years down the road and he's had some more time to develop, he's a guy who could also be a big contributor in a top six role as well.
4: All
5: right. Lots to like there for, uh, Isaac Russian and, uh, uh, I I want to just double check with you. You said Fab- Fabian Lassell is the, the top ranked uh, Swedish forward. William Eklund is actually higher on your own on the FC Hockey list. I just wanted to clarify.
2: Yeah, you're right. It's, yeah, as soon as that came out of my my mouth, I knew it was. I was <laughs> starting to regret it. All right, no, that's it's fine. a good catch.
5: I just wanted to make sure, just for the audience's uh benefit. Okay, let's go to Matthew Coronado, who I had on the show about a month and a half ago or so uh, as they were getting into the Clark Cup final. Uh, against Fargo. Uh, Monster season for him with 85 points in 51 games. 48 of those were goals. Uh, Tell me about uh, Matthew Coronado from your perspective and and where you have him ranked. Boy,
2: talk about a big season. You know, he he was good last year with Chicago, but I don't think anyone expected the huge explosion in offense we saw this year and just the huge strides that his game took. You know, we've got him 20th uh, on our list, but I really wouldn't be surprised if if he went higher than that, just because it's so hard to find guys who just have that that it factor offensively, that knack for scoring goals and and generating offense on a consistent basis. I mean, he had 48 goals in 51 games, and then he was also a goal per game in the playoffs, which is kind of unheard of. Mm-hmm. Like that's really really impressive. And yeah, I, I I love how he approaches the game. He's not the biggest guy. He's not the fastest guy. And in some ways he's not the most purely skilled, but he just has such a great pace. He plays at such a great pace. He's got a great motor. You know, he's got this attack mentality that he shows on a consistent basis. You know, he's he's really competitive in that regard. You know, when he gets the puck on the stick, he's gonna do anything he can to beat defenders and to get it towards the nest and you know, either take that shot himself or set up one of his teammates he's kind of an underrated playmaker in some regards i've seen him make some really high-end plays this year you know he's not necessarily just a one-dimensional shooter and and even though he's not the best skater he's got that great motor and i think that in a lot of cases is really able to make up for a lack of just pure overall skating ability and you know it has to be said that you always have to look a little bit um you always have to give a little bit of extra uh, time for a guy who comes from a really strong development program. You know, the Chicago Steel are, they're right up there right now as one of the best development programs in all of junior hockey. You know, the way that some people talk about the London Knights and the OHL, you know, the Chicago Steel are, are there in that conversation. Now they are a development factory and it's easy to see the guys that have come up to that program that, you know, are looking really, really good right now. And I think that Coronado is going to be one of the next ones. You know, there are some limitations to his game, and he might be a guy who needs time at the college level and then maybe in the AHL to really adjust to higher levels of play because, you know, hockey gets faster and more physical at the higher levels, but I am really confident that this is a guy who's going to find a way to figure it out. He's smart enough, and he's dedicated enough, and he's got that competitive mental edge where he's going to find ways to maximize his strengths in, in a way that can overcome his weaknesses.
5: That team is so deep. How is it difficult at all? Like, do you have to zero in and focus a lot because it's like, well, he's got 85 points, but how many of them are, you know, points that he created, or is he benefiting a lot because he's surrounded by super offensive-minded and talented players?
2: I mean, yeah, that's definitely something you always have to worry about because, and a lot of these big teams, uh, teams that are just dominant and score tons of points. There are some guys who drive the play and there are some guys who are passengers, guys who might put up a point per game without putting in the most effort. They're not doing the most with the puck on their stick. But the more I watch Chicago, the more I see how much of it goes through Coronado. He's the guy who has the puck on the stick the most. He's the one driving the play up ice. He's the one doing the heavy lifting. And as the season went on, you know, opposing teams just spent more and more time trying to contain him, trying to watch him, trying to hold him back. And they weren't successful. You know, he, he was a guy who kept getting the puck and he kept just doing incredible things with it. So I think that's a really good sign, not just the fact that he was the one driving the bus a lot of the time, but even as other teams started to hone in on him and, you know, make him their top target defensively, he was still finding ways to beat them. And I think that's, I think that's a special trait that not a lot of players have. And I think that's going to serve him really well once he starts moving up to higher levels of hockey.
5: All right, uh, and uh, we're going to finish on the this side of the ledger with uh, another guy out of the WHL and Olin Zellweger who uh, came into this year, I think he was probably off the radar for a lot of people, but uh, a terrific start to the season with the Everett Silvertips and then even took that to a higher level at the U18 for Canada. When did he enter the picture for you and just how impressed were you with the, the rapid rise he had this year?
2: Yeah, is special. He's, he's a really interesting case study. Um, he's a guy who made huge gains on our list uh, throughout the season. You know, he's someone that we knew about um, coming into the year, but he wasn't someone that we had the greatest book on. But the more we came back to him and the more we watched him, the more we really liked him. And we feel pretty confident about him being uh, 26th on our final list, especially after the great U18 tournament he had. You know he was arguably Canada's best defenseman in that tournament. By the end of the tournament, he had surpassed uh, Brant Clark uh, and, and took over the, the spot on the top power play unit, which I mean that speaks volumes because Brant Clark is one heck of a heck of an offensive defenseman. So uh, yeah, is really, really solid. Um, we talked earlier about the Everett Silvertips. And the program they have and the way they develop players. And, you know, he's one of the best players to come up through there in, in, in a while, you know, since Carter Hart, probably I'd have to, you know, go back to my memory to see if there's anyone I'm missing, but I think he's the best guy they've developed since Hart and he's really smart. He plays at a great pace. He's really consistent on, on a shift by shift basis, which you always really want to see. And he's just, he's really responsible with his puck movement. You know, he's a guy who doesn't turn the puck over very often He's always reliable at moving it uh, up ice and transition at breaking it out of his own zone. He's not the biggest guy. He's actually pretty small and he's, he's a good skater, but I wouldn't say an elite skater, but just the way he thinks the game, the way he handles pressure, you know, he's like a, like a pressure release valve a lot of the time for Everett. You know, if, if things are looking bad for the team, he can get the puck on a stick, make a couple moves to buy himself a little bit of space and time you know, shake off a four checker and suddenly the rest of his team had time to reset. And that's, that's pretty valuable. And that's not easy to do, especially for a young defenseman in the WHL. He's not going to be a guy probably who puts up a whole ton of points at the NHL level. I mean, he's good with the puck. He's, he's an okay shooter, but not a great shooter. He's a good playmaker, but not a great playmaker He's not exceptionally creative or crafty with the puck. But he's just a guy who's so consistent you know, he, and so smart, and he's always thinking the game a step ahead of most of his peers. And I think that's going to be something that serves him really, really well. I don't think he's going to be a big point producer, but he's going to be a guy that whatever team gets him, they're going to be really glad that they have him. He's going to be a guy who can play a lot of minutes. He'll probably find a way to kill penalties because he's so reliable. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's a really safe pick, I think. I think you could say that about him. Um, but he's also a guy that is going to keep growing and improving because just with what he brings and the way he approaches the game and his, his mentality and everything like that, I think he's going to be a guy who develops really nicely and consistently on a year-over-year basis moving forward in his development.
5: I find it amazing he had 13 points this year in 11 games, a point-per-game guy. I mean, that's outstanding as a defenseman. But he had more points in 11 games than he had in 58 games as a rookie last year and i I, mean, I had him on the show and i asked him and he's, i mean it surprised him when you go back and watch what he did last year compared to what he did this you know as a rookie what changed like how, where did this sudden boom of offense come from
2: oh i think a lot of it has to do with with both confidence and opportunity you know it's it's hard to be a 16 year old in the whl and you know to feel like it's it's your team in a way and it's your time to make a play you know, it's it's hard to have that responsibility and to kind of take it upon yourself. And, you know, last year, Everett had some pretty good older defensemen and Wyatt Wiley and Jacob Christensen and Johnny Fairbrother. So they, they had a, they had guys ahead of him on the depth chart. So he has to play a bit more of a sheltered role. He was held back a little bit. But, you know, I think he, he learned a lot from the older guys on his team. He spent the whole season there and he played 58 games in Everett which again is not easy to do as, as a 16-year-old defenseman. So I think just it was just just the right timing this year, you know, he was a little bit older, some of those older guys had moved on, you know, he was given a bigger role, he, more opportunity to showcase his ability and you know when he had a chance to spread his wings a little bit, he really uh, he really took off with, with the opportunity he had.
5: Derek Neumeyer is the head video scout for FC Hockey, and uh, we've gone through the six guys that uh, he thinks FC or even just he uh, likes more than the consensus out there. I asked everybody for one guy on the flip side of that as well, and that's not to say that you don't like him, uh, but you do have uh, Oscar Olison, I believe, in the second round, whereas most people have him well into the first round. Uh, what leaves you wanting more when it comes to Oscar Olsson?
2: You know, it's it's funny with scouting sometimes. Um you know, guys have good games and bad games, and sometimes you wonder if, if you've just caught a guy on a, on a bad game. You know, you caught him on an off night, and you haven't seen him at his best. And, you know, maybe there's still a chance that I've been incredibly unlucky with Oscar mm. in, in my viewings, but I've watched him at the junior level. I've watched him in the SHL. I watched him in the all I watched him at the World Juniors, and I just haven't had any good viewings of him at least viewings that I felt really, really um, comfortable about, viewings that I was really, really impressed. I mean, he's a guy that you can't deny his tools. He's, he's a big body. He's, he's a pretty good skater. He's good with the puck. He's, he's got some smooth hands. He's got a dangerous shot when he gets a chance to use it. There are definitely some tools there that, that are impressive, and you wonder about you know what the final package could be when, when his development is all said and done. But, you know, in in some ways, he's almost the anti-Matt Coronado for me. Hmm. He's just a guy that I find doesn't drive a lot of play. You know, I find that he he floats a little too much. He puck watches a little too much. You know, for a guy with his speed and his size and his skating, he's someone that I want to get the puck on his stick and to try and drive play with it. You know, whether that's, you know, tapping your stick really hard to let your teammates know that you're open or just having that, dog on a bone mentality where you're going to chase the guy down in the forecheck and get it back for yourself or just, you know, using your size and your skating to burst into open ice to make yourself a passing option. I just don't see a lot of that with Oscar. You know, he's a guy that, you know, on the power play, for example, if you've got time and space and someone passes in the puck, yeah, he'll he'll do something good with it most often or more, more often than not. But he just—I I find his effort level a little bit wanting sometimes. I just want him to see—I want to see a bit more of that edge to his game, more pace, more intensity, more drive, more focus. And I, I've also had a lot of times where I've questioned his hockey sense and his decision making, especially off the puck. There are a lot of times where I've caught him—you know—losing his guy. You know, he's, he's staring at the wall, and that's where the puck is, and there's a scrum, and someone's breaking into open ice behind him, and he doesn't know it. Or, you know, he's, he's looking at the wrong guy in transition. Um, so there, there are things that I, I worry about with him. Uh, I also think it's worth noting that he is an older player for this draft class. He's a late 2002 birthday. You know, he, he played at the top Swedish uh, junior level last year uh, and most of the year, the year before that. So he's got he's a guy with a little bit more experience behind him, which makes me a little bit more concerned about what I've seen you know, for a for a, a draft eligible prospect of this class, I want to see a little bit more of of that sense of taking charge out of him. And I haven't seen that yet. So again, maybe I've just been really unlucky in the viewings I've had, you know, there are people in uh, Kirby doc's draft year who, who watched him a bunch of times and never saw a good game. Cause yeah. he was a guy who was really on or off, but on, on his good games, he was the best player on the ice by a country mile. And, you know, maybe there is some of that with Oscar. Maybe he is a guy who just needs to find a little bit more consistency. And, you know, I hope that's the case. I mean, from from everything I can tell, it's not like he's a bad kid or anything. You know, he seems he seems fine. He's not a guy who's taken runs at guys. He's not a dirty player by any means. He plays a really clean game. And, you know, I hope that everything kind of clicks for him because I, I generally like guys with that profile who have that size and skating and puck skill combo. But it just, I don't know, I just haven't quite enough this year that makes me feel comfortable um, drafting him too high you know we, we ended up with him in the second round and I think that is it's probably the right spot for him
5: great stuff Derek I really appreciate your time uh, again FC hockey is uh, uh, where everybody can get their draft coverage from future considerations and uh, I really appreciate your time I hope you don't mind if I call you again
2: hey no problem at all this is a great chat and I would uh, love to do it again sometime in the future
5: that was Derek Newmeyer from FC Hockey, his first appearance here on the Pipeline Show, but won't be his last. We'll look to get him on again in Season 17 of the program, which, as a reminder, will start first show in August. Uh, I'm thinking it's probably around August uh, 15th, something like that. Maybe not quite that late. August 12th, August 13th, somewhere around there as I have uh, this show. Then next week will be a sort of a draft recap, then uh, about 10 days off, and come back for Season 17. You can give Derek a follow on Twitter at Derek underscore N underscore NHL. And check out everything that FC Hockey has to offer at their website as well. All right, up next, it'll be another newcomer to the program, his first appearance on the show as well, Josh Tesler, who heads up Smart Scouting. I keep saying Smart Hockey, but it's Smart Scouting. We'll get to meet him and to hear about his thoughts on some players for the 2021 NHL Draft Next, here on the Pipeline Show, fueled by Wilhock's Beef Jerky. This is Greg
1: Carvel with UMass, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show.
2: Development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Nick Bukestad. Backhand
3: score! Wow, what a goal.
5: David
1: Backus. Score! And Zach Parisi were stars on
2: campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world.
1: You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. I'm a Mog.
3: half man, half dog. I'm my own best friend.
5: We are back on The Pipeline Show with Keith Flaming, continuing on with our uh, look ahead to the NHL draft, which is uh, rapidly coming up. And uh, last week's show and this week's show, we're uh, chatting with scouts, guys who are draft day junkies, uh, much like I am. But these guys, they consider themselves scouts. They watch a ton of games. Uh, and so it's uh, valuable information that, that they bring to the casual fans, and that's why I wanted to get them on right before the draft. Of course, the program brought to you by Hawk Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky in all of Alberta. My next guest uh, is coming to us. Actually, Josh, I don't know where you're from. Josh Tesler from uh, Smot Hockey is uh, with me now. Josh, where are, you, where are you located?
3: Thank you so much for having me on. And, um, sorry, yeah, and I am actually Boston, Massachusetts based.
5: All right, perfect. I guess that's where the Smot comes in, right? Yes, <laughs> I was just yep. ho- I was hoping for that uh, that stereotypical Boston accent. I don't hear it though.
3: Yeah, no. So I um so I actually moved around uh quite a bit as a kid. So yeah, I was initially born in Montreal, um, and then moved to Memphis for a bit, and then Boston, and then D C. Um, and my first stint in Boston was only for about a year. Okay, uh, for the good chunk of my childhood. Uh, sorry, I live down in the Maryland, uh, Washington D.C. area, and uh, yeah, and then came back up here for college, and and yeah, and I've been here ever since.
5: Josh, tell me, how long have you been uh, in the scouting biz now? How did you start smart hockey?
3: Yeah, so I began smart scouting um, back in sorry back in February of uh, last year. Okay. So yeah, so um, I had decided to go back to school and earn my MBA. And at that time, I was writing for uh, Dauber Prospects as well as future considerations. Hmm. But when I decided to go back to school, you know, of course, I wanted to continue scouting, and to do so, I want I, like I wanted to give myself a platform where you know where I could be as flexible as possible, um, you know, and I didn't have any deadlines hanging over my head. Right. So yeah, so that's when I created the the site. You know, and we've grown, and at this point we have uh, seven scouts globally, and we are continuing to grow. It's been a great year for our site.
5: Great stuff, and I want to get the name right. It's Smart Scouting, not Smart Hockey. Sorry about that. S M A H T, and you can follow him on Twitter at S M H T Scouting. Uh, although that's not Josh's spot, but uh, anyway, let's get to the list. And, and what I've done is I've asked you to provide me with six guys, six names that. Uh, you feel like, uh, you personally, or you as a group at smart scouting, uh, might have uh, ranked higher than uh, the consensus out there. And then we'll get to one guy that might be on the reverse side of that, uh, that ledger. Uh, so let's get going. And, uh, the first guy we're going to chat about is uh, a Russian who you have ranked fairly high. Tell me where you have uh Fader Svechkov and, uh, why you like him that much.
3: Yeah. So in the final rankings, we had him at nine, I believe. You know, and one of the things that I really, really love in him, sorry, so the way that I've been looking at him lately is he's kind of like a Matthew Veneers, like, plan two. So, And what I mean by that is, you know, when I watch Matthew Veneers and what makes me confident in saying that he is the number one pick, you know, it really comes down to his compete level, um, you know, and his problem-solving ability and his defensive awareness. You know, in terms of the production That you would probably get from Fyodor um, at the NHL level. I don't think it's going to be comparable to Matthew Veneers, you know. But I mean, that is still a pretty, pretty great prospect to have, especially one so that has great defensive awareness. Because you know, I mean, at times when you are looking at several prospects in the draft class in terms of forwards, especially at wing, you know, it's always great to see a forward that, so you know, that is a little bit more defensive-minded you know, and puts a lot of work on the back check and, you know, and has quick feet, you know, in terms of reacting to puck movement and, you know, and with Fyodor, you know, you definitely get the whole, um, you know, package from a, you know, from a defensive forward standpoint, but he's also capable of driving to the net and being dominant down low. So it's actually surprising because for a while, I was very, very keen on Nikita Chibrikov, you know, being the number one Russian forward. You know, and for the longest time, I mean, we had Svechkov, I believe in like the 30 to 40 range. When it was time to do my deep dive, I want to say at least, you know, six to eight games of me, you know, reviewing game tape, jotting down notes, you know. And for me, you know, whenever I'm doing a deep dive on, you know, a prospect, You know, I really get to hone in on that, you know, on that one particular prospect and watch as much footage as possible, you know. And that's when you really, really grow to either like the player, you know, or you start noticing things that, you know, you didn't see as intently. Yeah. So when I wrote that report, I mean, that just completely changed my tune on him, Um, you know, and I noticed, you know, how much stronger he is uh, from a well-rounded perspective versus Nikita Chibrikov.
5: He played for uh, the uh, the team in Lada, but in the VHL as well as the MHL, it was productive in both places. And then uh, again for Russia at the World U18, he had ten points in seven games there. Is there a moment this in this past season for him? And we're talking about Fedor uh, uh, Sveder uh Is there a moment that stood out about him this year that kind of really made it uh, cemented his spot in your top ten?
3: I'm um, sorry, Gee. When you say moment, do you mean like?
5: Yeah, I don't, I don't mean like a single play or anything like that, but is you know, a stretch of games where you're like, okay, this guy's really putting it together now.
3: Yeah, so I think I got to that point, you know, at the U18s. Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, when you are comparing international play at that level, com- sorry, compared to some of the talent that is in the MHL, you notice at the MHL level that a lot of times forwards are just not as aggressive and defenders can be a little bit late, you know, like a little bit laid back. You know, it's a completely different style of hockey at times. And so when he came over to uh, to Dallas to play at the U18s and dominated against tougher, more consistent uh, competition, you know, that's when he really, really cemented that uh, sort of that top 10 spot for me, you know, because, you know, because that was a moment of reassurance for us.
5: Let's go to that other Russian that you uh, mentioned briefly, and that would be Nikita Chibrikov, who you have at number 26. Uh, Not not as big; he's at listed at 5'10, just over 170 pounds. But I know there's lots of people that seem to like him a lot. But you've got him in the first round. Tell me why,
3: Nikita Chibrikov. You know, at times he reminds me of like a Brad Marchand kind of light player. Hmm. You know, he's extremely good on the, the rush. As soon, you know, and as soon as you talk about Nikita Chibrikov. Uh, amongst peers, you know, that's, I mean, you know, I mean, that is always the first thing to come out, you know, is how dominant he is um, from a transitional perspective. And his skating is good too. You know, I know that there's been um, a few opinions on him that, sorry, that do not like his skating that much and and that he has some challenges from a speed and acceleration point of view, you know, but it is complete um, opposite for me. Sorry, you know, he's very, very good, at completing two power strides, uh, shortening up a little bit, and using crossovers in the neutral zone, and then as soon as he gets back into the offensive zone, it's you know it's another two power strides, you know, and he's right where you want him to be. Mm. And in the offensive zone, he loves to cut through the middle, sorry, and wave his stick out and get his teammates, you know, that are um sorry that are running the puck up the boards to. You know, it means to pass to him down low. The one area in his game, though, that I definitely want to see more improvement is from a physical perspective. And what I saw in him was that, you know, he was having a little bit of difficulty with his inside edges at times. And so when he was going in for when he was going in for a check along the boards, you know, he would lose an edge in the process, and then at that point you know, he couldn't really fall through on the, on the check. So, you know, it's edges as well as it's, is upper body strength, you know, that I, I would like to see improve, but, you know, and the reason why I brought up Brad Marchand is because, you know, it is definitely clear that Nikita Chibrikov has a gritty, but not in your face style of playing, you know, and given his frame, you know, and how, you know, and how he plays from a transitional perspective, it just really, really reminds me of Brad Marchand. But with that being said, you know, I want to put it into perspective that, you know, that I'm not, that I'm not saying that he's going to put a Brad Marchand like production, but, you know, I mean, but I very, very much like him. Yeah. I mean, and we have him at 26 and I mentioned, you know, I had been debating about the placement between him and Fyodor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at a point, Fyodor did pass him. But, you know, I still really, really like both of them. Well, Chibrikov
5: was captain for the Russians at the World U18, had 13 points second only on his club to uh, Matvey Michkov, the uh, phenom. Uh, that we'll get to know a lot better in a couple of years. Uh, let's go to the next guy on the list. That's Logan Stankoven, who you have at 28. Uh, and, uh, boy, this is he's just a fun player to watch, really easy guy to cheer for. Not the biggest guy in the world but his motor never stops running and he's involved in every shift that's my take what do you uh, see when you look at Logan Stan Coven
3: yeah sure so when I look at Logan um you know and as you brought up you know he plays a very very high tempo game he's you know he's a very strong for yeah, very strong four checker and from a defensive standpoint um he also does a great job in terms of limiting open lanes. Sorry, you know, he's very, very strong in terms of being deceptive and a very synchronized passer. He will drop the perfect drop pass. He, you know, he does a good job in terms of utilizing uh, quality crossovers in order to beef up his acceleration. So there are a little bit of skating concerns, though. Um, You know, in terms of his ankle flexion, you know, I mean, there's definitely some work to be done there. You know, and also, as I talked about uh, before, you know, he's a very deceptive player and you definitely see that through and through, especially with his shot. You know, he is a little bit on the shorter side and historically we have seen a decent amount of of GMs, um, you know, stay away from shorter players, Mm -hmm. especially early on. So, but yeah, you know, I, you know, but I mean, I very, very much like him. Um, and he's definitely a player that I would definitely take, you know, in the late first round.
5: All right, he had eight points for Canada in seven games at the World U18, probably one of the, arguably their most consistent player uh, at the tournament. He was uh, terrific. Uh, let's go to the next guy, and Sean Chagall of the uh, Calgary Flames or Calgary Hitman rather. Uh, appears much further down the list, but not that far. You know, this is a second round pick for for you and the and the crew at SMOT Scouting. Uh, what do you like about Sean Chagall of the Hitman?
3: Sure, sure. Um, so, in terms of Sean, I you know I like him for sim uh, for, yeah I like him for similar reasons to why I like Logan Stankoven and Chibrikov. And what I mean by that is, you know, he's a very very aggressive forechecker and he is extremely f- physical too. And to be honest, it's you know it's really really shocking given sorry given his frame how physical he is. And so at times, you know, I wouldn't call that deceptive, you know, but I mean, in terms of opponents, you know, I can definitely see that throwing them off. You know, he's got great, great upper body power. And I very, very much like his stick handling as well, you know, and his ability to get around defensemen, sorry, and drive the puck to net front. And I also love his defensive awareness too. You know, so it's defensive awareness plays like that, you know, that I, um, you know, that I truly enjoy. Yeah. So we like him a lot. And actually, I can't remember where exactly we have him on the board.
5: 58.
3: I mean, while I certainly like the player, you know, I'm not too, too sure, you know, if he comes off the board in the second to third round, you know, I, you know, I could technically see him slip to four, I mean, to four or five if you're getting him, in the you know in the 4th or 5th round you know he's you know he's definitely a guy to like and you know and he would be of great value, value you know in that range
5: All right I did skip over a player that you actually have uh, ranked uh, just a couple of spots ahead of Chagall and that would be Liam Gilmartin who uh, played for the US National Development Program this past season uh, he is signed and will play with the London Knights uh, of the Ontario Hockey League this coming year uh, and Always kind of difficult sometimes for guys to stand out on that uh, on the U18 squad because of how deep it is, but he had 35 points in 50 games. He is a big guy, uh, listed at uh, 6'2 and uh, closing in on 200 pounds. Uh, tell me about Liam Gilmartin.
3: Yeah, so Liam Gilmartin definitely rose up um, quite a bit throughout the year. So, sorry, so when I started the year, I'm sorry, uh, he wasn't one of the. Um, sorry, he wasn't one of the top five, uh, US NTDB guys that, you know, I'm, you know, that I was looking to take a look at first, but I mean, he, he definitely caught my eye and teams will, will really, really like him. You know, he's, you know, he's very, very physical. He's, he's definitely well-rounded. Um, and he is a gritty power forward and, you know, and he likes to get up in your face and cut down goaltender sight lines. You know, he's just, You know, he is just a very, very fun power forward, you know, and I feel like he was very, very underappreciated until the December, January time frame, you know, and then at that point I did notice that his, um, you know, uh, sorry that his ranking on several different sites was going up and up and up. Um, So, yeah, so I, yeah, so I very, very much like him and, uh, you know, and I definitely look forward to seeing, the transition to the OHL for him next year.
5: Uh, all the other guys we talked about had really good performances at the World U18. Gil Martin, no goals, just one assist in five games. Did that impact his draft stock, in your opinion, or no?
3: Um, So I'm not, you know, so I don't always put a lot of stock in, in terms of the tournament play. You know, I mean, sometimes I, you know, sometimes I will use it as a, you know, as a reassurement moment. Uh, like in the case of uh, Fyodor, right? Um, but you know, with Gil Martin, you know, it wasn't like it wasn't really a big, you know, big big concern with me. But yeah, I, you know, I'm not overly worried about about one bad tournament for him.
5: All right, fair enough. Uh, okay, we're gonna get to uh, Colton Dock of the Saskatoon Blades now. He's listed at six four and just over two hundred pounds. I think everybody knows his brother Kirby Dock very well. Uh, Colton is not going to be selected in the top, uh, you know, top five, like, uh, like Kirby was, uh, but this is a good player. And he was a point per game guy for the blades this year, 11 goals, 20 points in 20 games. And that's after, you know, having an uh, 11 goal season as a rookie, uh, the year previous, uh, but they're different players. He and Kirby are not the same players, but tell me about Colton Duck.
3: Yeah. So with Colton doc, you know, one of the things that I caught immediately, was how versatile he is. So actually, I believe this year, in my notes because I'm actually working on a, um, I'm actually working on a Colton Dock right now. Uh, said uh, the majority of the time he played at right wing, playing with uh, Kreniculovic and Tristan Robbins. You know, and I very very much liked that that line. Actually, he played at left wing once and then center three times. You know, and I very much like. Versatile players like, you know, for example, in this draft class, there's guys like Robert Orr of the Halifax Mooseheads and Lucas Gustafson um, of the Chicago Steel, you know, that offer you you a a lot of versatility, you know, and I very, very much saw that in Colton. One of the things that caught my eye about Colton is how good his shot is. You know, I certainly wouldn't call it a top 10 shot in this draft class, but I mean, it is considerably good for a power forward, you know, who typically takes a decent amount of shots, you know, uh, from low danger. And so, um, you know, and so it's always good to see a power forward, you know, having uh, sorry uh, having the ability, you know, to drain rare shots from range. Sorry, and I also like his passing ability too. Um, he, you know, he had very very nice uh, backhand a dangerous pass to net front, uh, sorry, to find Krankovic, um for a primary assist. I think it was against the Swift current Broncos. You yeah, know, so I, yeah, no, so I just very, very much like the player. You know, I would definitely like to see Colton dock improve, you know, improve his skating, um, you know, and, you know, and beef up his acceleration, uh, you know, because he's definitely not a explosive skater. And, you know, and if he was able to further his acceleration and develop more of a, a, a quality power stride, you know, that's, you know, that's definitely a dangerous combination given, you know, I mean, given his frame, uh, you know, and given his willingness to, you know, to complete open ice hits all along the boards. So there's, you know, so there's just a, a lot to like, you know, I mean, and if he were, you know, if he were able to improve his skating, you know, you were looking at a, a great value pick.
5: Fantastic. Uh, Josh Tesler from uh, Smart Scouting is my guest here on the Pipeline Show as we get set for the upcoming 2021 NHL Draft. Now, I asked everybody to give me one player that, that they like, uh, but not as much as everybody else seems to. And um, that fits the bill here for uh, Mason McTavish uh, for you as you have him ranked 13. I think most people have him in the top 10, but 13, you still have him as a first rounder. It means you like him. You just don't like him as much as a lot of people. Uh, but why is that?
3: Yeah, so you know what it's funny because when we began the year and when we did our preliminary list, you know, going off the footage that I saw last year in Peterborough, there were a lot of concerns for me in terms of Mason. Sorry, and one of the things that worried me, you know, he was a little bit slow with the pocket at times. His decision making, you know, was just, you know, was just a tad bit slow, and I was a little worried that shot was more one dimensional at times, you know, after he was loaned out. So he got loaned out to EAC Olton and, um, you know, and I definitely saw a stronger player over there. And what I saw from him was his willingness to be creative, you know, in terms of puck, in terms of puck movement in the offensive zone and finding gaps in order to give his teammates, you know, a quality passing lane. And his whole offensive strategy game plan—it just changed, and that you know—and that certainly caught my eye. Sorry, is his physical grit, you know, and he's capable of making great open ice hits, you know. And, and at times, you know, he reminds me of Nazem Kadri, you know. But the one thing that I'm just not, you know, that I'm just not as sold on is whether or not I see him as a center. So I know, so I know a lot of people have been talking about. You know, as a dominant center. You know, and for me, he just seems to be a little bit stronger at winger. You know, and my reasoning for that is mainly because you know he's not a very very big puck mover. He tends to be a little bit uh, weaker uh, from a transitional perspective, especially when looking to counter the rush. You know, so I mean, I would prefer to have him, you know, on the wing instead of at center. You know, so I just see a lot of challenges with him in terms of his transitional defensive play I feel like if you move them to winger I mean you don't have to put that much stock in him you know being a consistent defender within transition
5: fair enough Uh, that was with Mason McTavish Uh, Josh I really appreciate your time thanks for being available right before the draft I know it gets awfully busy Uh, again where do people go to find uh, the rankings for smart scouting
3: yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah. So, if you go to um, smartscouting. dot so that is s m um, a h t scouting.com, dot um, You uh, so you can find our rankings there, um, as well as we have eighty reports right now on twenty twenty one prospects, and we definitely anticipate to have at least ten more by uh, sort by draft day. And, and as I said, I'm working on a Colton doc. Right. Um, and that should hopefully be out at some point this this weekend. Um, and our rankings are there, and and I'm also planning on actually doing a, uh, Jesper Walstead uh, versus Yaroslav Oskarov comparison piece. Okay. Um, so yeah, so um, so look out for that as well, and uh, on Twitter, we are at Smart Scouting, and my uh, Twitter handle is at Josh Tesler T E S S L E R. And then there's an underscore.
5: Terrific. Great stuff, Josh. Great to meet you. Uh, I hope you don't mind if I call you again down the road.
3: Yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me on Key. And, uh, yeah, and I lo- look forward to coming back.
5: That was Josh Tesler from Smot Scouting. Not Smot Hockey, but Smot Scouting. Uh, check out their stuff. You can also follow him on Twitter at Josh Tesler underscore at the end. And check out their website for uh, everything that they have to offer for the upcoming NHL Draft. Appreciate his time. Interesting thoughts on Mason McTavish at the end. Certainly going against the the grain there, but you can always let me know what you thought of uh, what Josh had to say. You can hit me up on Twitter at TPS underscore Gee. Alright, let's keep it rolling. we got three more scouts to get to, and uh, next up is Ross McLean, who is uh, based in Calgary, has done a lot of work in the past with Hockey Canada. Also uh, used to be International Scouting Services head scout way back when. Now comes to us as uh, an independent. Maybe he's. Maybe we'll consider him the Pipeline Show's head scout. As long as he uh, agrees to get paid in Timbits. So I can handle that. Ross McLean, up next, here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Down there by Zaborl. Puck comes three wards, clearing play to the line. It skips out to center. Valeno trying to break, handed. Joe Valeno, penalty coming. Valeno, deking, scores! Joe Valeno short-handed goal
2: Hey, it's Joe Valeno from the Drummondville Voltageurs and you're listening to the Pipeline Show
4: there's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The Store Next Door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker, and we change lives one job at a time.
1: You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. He fights like an
2: old lady.
5: All right, we're back on the Pipeline show brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. And uh, we're going to continue with the uh, chats with the Scouts as we get set for the 2021 NHL Draft. Uh, another six-pack of uh, personal favorites for my next guest as we welcome back Ross McLean from McLean Hockey. Ross, welcome back. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me again.
5: A oh, uh, pleasure to get a chance to speak with you. I know you're super busy uh, on the ice uh, doing some some training and scouting right now as well. But uh, So I appreciate you making the time for the Pipeline Show once again. You gave me your list of uh, your six-pack of good guys and one guy that you have some sort of concern with. We'll get to him at the end. But let's start with uh, uh, some defensemen. Alexi Hemosalmi, uh, who started to gain a lot of attention in the later half of the year, I think, and the buzz certainly there for him at the World U18. But uh, knowing uh, the way you like Finns, I'm sure he's been on your radar for a while. Tell me about him.
1: Yeah, Jaime Osama is one of those kids that uh, just fits into that mold of that new-age defenseman. You know, we look at all the most elite defensemen in the league. The guys who are up for the Norris this year, you know, the Kale McCars, the Adam Foxes, the, the Miro Heiskinen's that type of a defender. He kind of fits that mold in that he's really, really versatile, uh, very calm on the ice, has a great skill set, uh, highly mobile, uh, really, really calm with the puck, uh, and, and, you know, doesn't really necessarily stand out and jump out and, and make high-risk plays that, you know, we saw from, you know the, the really elite offensive defenseman of yesteryear. He's just one of those guys that just fits really, really well in any kind of structure and, and is able to advance the puck, make plays. He does all the things that you're really comfortable with as a coach, especially in terms of an offensive defenseman who can create and just kind of get rushed straight. He doesn't necessarily always put up the points, but he's a, he's a catalyst. He gets stuff started really, really well.
5: 21 points, though, in 35 games this year in the U-20 league over in Finland, and then uh, more than a point-per-game guy at the at the U-18. Now, he's listed at 5'11 and just under 170 pounds, so Elias Pettersson uh, kind of build, but on the blue line. Is that a concern?
1: Not for me. Um, I think you know, we, we're really getting into that age now where people are starting to understand that if you start to really... Use that against the player. You're you're just fooling yourself. But there are guys that figure out how to use their. Use their frame, use their stuff to their advantage. And, you know, we've had plenty of examples of this over the last few years and guys that have fallen in drafts because of it, then now everyone's kicking themselves for it. So uh, I, I don't think it's as much of an issue as it used to be. You don't see as much boxing out at the net by, by defensemen anymore. There's more, you know, fronting the puck, um, intercepting passes. And so you want guys with good, quick sticks uh, that can read the play really well. And I think he does that. And I think he'll do it really, really well at the next level.
5: What's the areas of his game that you need to see him improve on the most?
1: Obviously, again, having said what I said, uh, I still really like that physicality aspect of it and being able to wedge in on players and, and, uh, you know, take pucks away along the wall. So that would be an area, you know, that I would want to see him continue to develop on. And I don't think that's necessarily a size or a a frame thing. It's more of a confidence and a technique uh, aspect of it. You know, I I View those physical skills the same way I view, um, you know, skating and shooting, and you, know, you you build a strong technique on it, and you're going to be successful. So, uh, you know, I, I think he has a little bit of the building blocks there, um, but certainly something I'd like to see a little bit more from him.
5: Would you be comfortable taking him in the first round, or is he more of a second round guy for you?
1: Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of elite defensemen in that first round, um, players that are going to be really, really good uh, on NHL blue lines. Um, certainly, as you get through kind of that first half, depending on how that draft goes, I feel that he's there. I think he's a value pick. Um, I think he's somebody that you can, you know, feel really, really good about yourself if you're getting him in, in the second round. If you're taking him in the in the first round, uh, you know, when it's all said and done, I think you're going to look back and say this kid was definitely a first rounder. But in terms of the way things are playing out now, there's probably a, a a better option of him being a value pick in the second round than than a first rounder.
5: All right, uh, let's move to uh, the Brandon Wheat Kings. Vincent Iorio, who had uh, 12 points in 22 games this year uh, for the Wheaties. Uh, and has that size that I think everybody is attracted to, 6'3", 195-ish pounds, so closing in on 200 probably by this point. Um, and he's a late birthday, so a little bit more experience. But what kind of uh, a player is he when you watch him?
2: i I love
1: this player every time I see him you know he he 's able to use his size effectively and when we talk about size nowadays it 's not about being bigger and stronger than everybody it 's about you know how how are you using it he 's got this great long reach and he 's just really really good at using it to poke pucks into soft areas, separate himself from opponents He, he can play a little bit of uh, every style that you need him to play. He can do it in all three zones got a big shot uh, I love him on the point with a puck, especially from the weak side as a as a, you know, a secondary option and, and you know, as a pass option. There's just so much that he can do. But, you know, like I said with Haimel Salmi, uh, the, the area that I like him the most is probably where I I'll want to see more from Haimel And you know, that's his ability to kind of get in on the wall and win pucks off the wall and make something happen with it. So a really reliable defender in your own end doesn't have that kind of, you know, high-risk reward thing, again, that we talked about a lot of the the, you know in the past decade the, the really offensive defensemen have I don't see him as necessarily a guy who's going you know blow the doors off offensively but he's a really really good option um, especially on the power play uh, and again especially from that weak side his shot is is really strong creates a lot of havoc at the net if it doesn't go in really good decision maker with the pucks not firing pucks in the pads very often so a trustworthy player that uh, can kind of do a little bit of everything in all three zones. Seems
5: like most rankings I, I see uh, with his name on him have him more of a, a third round sort of player. Is, does that feel right, or do you think he should go in the second?
1: I think he should go in the second. I think he's a bit of a he's a bit of a, a bit of a diamond in the rough. Um, you know, and that's hard to say. Again, top three round picks are, are all very very elite players usually. So, um, but you know, he's a he's a player who probably would have benefited from some more exposure this year and. and didn't get it uh, didn't get that extra exposure of you know being uh, under 18 eligible uh, because of that late birthday so you know really if you're going to move him up a list it's because you either got to the the bubble in Regina to watch players or uh, you were or you were able to uh, you know get uh, get a lot of video on him but you don't really get the feel from from the video that you would uh, you know seeing him live so uh, he's a guy I think that definitely has some potential to be a steal just because not enough people got enough of a read on him.
5: All right. That's Vincent Iorio, second round pick by the Brandon Weekings a, a couple of years back. And he's got three years now under his belt at the WHL level. So lots of experience there. Uh, let's go to the, uh, the East coast and uh, Halifax product. Oscar Plandowski, uh, a six foot, 190 pound defenseman uh, playing for the Charlottetown Islanders. A couple of seasons now in the queue uh, complete for him. Not a guy that I know much about, so uh, educate me on Oscar Plandowski.
1: Well, he's a really interesting one because he, he moved around a whole bunch during his uh, minor hockey days, and I got to really kind of see him a lot in Alberta uh, where he where he actually played at uh, the NAX Academy there in St. Albert. and um, Over the years, kind of watched him develop more and more, and that's one of the things that's always struck me about him is how he adapts. He adapts extremely, extremely well uh, to levels. Takes a little bit of time, but does it the right way he just soaks things in and just continues to get better uh he's a phenomenal skater his uh, his mother is actually one of the better skating coaches um, probably the best skating coach in eastern canada and uh, so he has that advantage where he's consistently working with the best and uh it, it shows he's a phenomenal skater uh, multi-directional very very smooth uh the knock on him kind of has been his decision making um, everyone expects him to be a little bit more offensive or, or create more plays. And like I said, I, I feel like he's taking the time to develop properly. He's, I you know, I don't think he again blew the doors off on a very good uh, Charlottetown team. Mm-hmm. But I think moving forward, he's going to continue to develop and show those things that you know this is a, a kid that's a long-term prospect that has some some real appeal. And I I feel is going to play one day.
5: Five goals in uh, ninety-nine. A Quebec Major Junior Hockey League games. Safe to say, he's not the offensive sort of defenseman. More stay at home. Maybe the guy who starts that transition up the ice.
1: He's a good two-way guy. I, I think the offense is there. I think he's capable of it. Uh, again, he's not a risk taker, so he's not a guy that's going to, uh, you know, make a, a bad play or 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 put a, a teammate in a bad position to try and, and get himself into uh, a spot to, you know. Uh, build on those goal totals so uh for me again the offensive piece will come Uh, that'll continue to develop because i just have seen it with him as throughout his whole development pathway Uh, and i think there's there's still a lot of ceiling there for for him to reach
5: interesting look at his uh the last number of years for him he was in halifax in 2017 edmonton in 2018 the selects academy somewhere in the states i don't know where that
1: is do you uh it's in i believe it's in um in uh New England area.
5: Okay. And then two years in Charlottetown in the in the queue. So he's moved around a lot. I dunno I don't know what the story is there, do you?
1: Well uh, yeah yeah. The, the 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 family is based in Nova Scotia. Um the, his his father's actually uh Daryl Plandowski, um who uh, was a scout with Tampa Bay and is now the the chief amateur scout with Arizona. Um, and they have family in Alberta and they've been kinda moving all around the younger brother's been out here as well uh he's been playing out of the edge academy okay um so they, they, yeah they've been they've been leveraging their their connections and and their their uh their their family uh ties all over the place to to give the kids a, a really interesting and uh, dynamic hockey experience
5: interesting all right that's Oskar plandowski uh, another defenseman this one back to the whl and drew krebs uh, played uh for the medicine Hat tigers did play one game this year in okotoks as well but he's been with medicine hat for the last couple of seasons uh and uh, i think we know peyton krebs a lot uh and uh, and dakota krebs has already gone through the whl but uh, drew krebs the youngest brother tell me about uh, drew and obviously i think there's gonna be questions about izzy peyton krebs on the blue line but uh, what do you say
1: drew is a very well-rounded player he uh he thinks the game incredibly well. He does have uh, a very good high-end skill set in terms of you know how he skates the game, uh, where he is on the ice, uh, his decision making. Uh, just a very very safe player, very intelligent uh, type of reliable player that you're happy putting out on the ice in sort of any situation as a coach. Um, you know, he is the baby of the Krebs family. Uh, they're an amazing family. I'm, I'm fortunate I've got to know them over the years. Uh, spectacularly talented um, all the way through. The older sister's a Nashville recording star. She's been playing live concerts here at the Calgary Stampede all week, too. So uh, they're, they're a family that you just you bet on them. All the time, because they have that drive, and and, uh, and Drew is a uh, as the youngest one. Uh, you know, you'll always see him. He's he's had that benefit of you know when he trains, he trains with Peyton and he trains with Dakota, and you know those are pretty pretty strong level players that he's been doing that for years and years and years so but you know he's his own player uh he's very different than the other two um probably a bit of a cross in terms of you know dakota was a uh much of a stay-at-home stalwart type defender whereas you know payton's a highly offensive forward and drew is the sort of in between of the two uh on the the back end and again just the way that he plays the game just calm poised can kind of fit into any situation and still has uh, a lot of physical development left to do he's going to be uh he's going to be a specimen i believe
5: there's no goal scoring in his uh past to suggest that that's going to be his calling card moving forward or do you see that as untapped potential as well with him
1: I don't think he's going to be a guy who uh, puts up a ton of numbers, but he's a stabilizer. He's a guy that you know fits on. He can play with the guy that's going to put up numbers okay. and, and and insulate the, that type of player. And I think those types of players are extremely valuable. They're very rare where you can have a player that thinks the game that way and can actually account for uh, a little bit of risk in, in other other players. You know, watching him uh, this year with Medicine Hat, um, we saw Clayton put up some big numbers, and a lot of times he was doing that with, with Krebs covering for and in spots. So, um, again, those types of players are so valuable, uh, highly underrated, and, and not necessarily the ones that always stand out to people, especially if you're looking at statistics. But they're the ones that allow other people to, to create statistics. So that, that value definitely translates to the next level.
5: Ross McLean is my guest, independent scouts, worked a lot with Hockey Canada in the past and uh, and continues to work with young players uh, with their development skills. Uh, let's go to uh, Sean Chagall of the uh, Calgary Hitman. I know this is a player that you're pretty high on.
2: Absolutely.
1: Uh, I think he's, uh, him and Justin Robita are probably the two most underrated players in this draft in terms of what they're actually going to bring to the NHL level. Um, Chagall is just so well-rounded his skating stride is smooth. He has great acceleration. He's highly explosive. Really intelligent with the puck. Great playmaker. Uh, works really hard uh, in, in both directions. And I, yeah, I think he's had some really great value in terms of you know where he's been with the roster uh, and the talent level on on the Hitmen the last couple of years because he's been he's really been the guy. He's been the the, the high end talent player. There's been a lot of players that work really hard and you know have a good mind for the game, but. He's got everything. He's got just anything that you could want. He has a little piece of super mature kid, great leader. Uh, Whoever takes this guy is going to find themselves with an absolute steal. I don't think anybody realizes yet just what the potential this kid could have moving forward is. And he gets better every shift. He is just an absolutely determined and dogged worker.
5: Big jump forward in his production this year. He had 13 points in 56 games as a as a rookie, but this year 21 points in 21 games and up to 13 goals. To what would you attribute that?
1: I think more confidence and the fact that he's now been given sort of that opportunity to to really to be the heartbeat. Um, and I think that's where he thrives. He thrives when he's part of the heartbeat. And he took a little time to get himself to get himself. Acclimatized to the league as most young players do. It's a difficult league. There's a hard travel schedule to it. Uh, it's physical. There's a lot of big, strong players in it. And as you come from uh, you know the minor hockey ranks to get into those levels it, it takes a little bit to especially if you 're an offensive guy or somebody who who wants to produce offensively, but his appeal isn 't necessarily going to be the guy that 's a point of game player. His appeal is all the little things that he does, the detail that he brings he 's the type of player that you win with, not necessarily the type of player who goes and wins individual awards, and i think that 's what he prides himself in I think that 's why he 's so valuable he 's a culture guy he 's somebody you bring into your room and he automatically makes your room better.
5: So uh, most rankings have him as a uh, late second-round, more likely third-round pick. Sounds like you would take him well before that.
1: Oh, 100%. Uh, he's a first-round talent, in my opinion. Um, and if you're, again, a, a high-level team uh, that's had some success this year in pick and is picking late, uh, really good player to be adding into your, your prospects table because you can, you can take a little time with them, but at the same point, his maturity is is significantly advanced, and I don't think he's going to take a, a a lot of time to have to marinate. So he could be an effective player for uh, somebody uh, in in his early twenties, without question.
5: All right, that's Sean Chagall from the uh, Calgary Hitmen. Uh, one more forward to get to, and that's Peter Reynolds, who after uh, a few years at Shattuck St. Mary's and then a season in the BCHL, he's back to the East Coast with the Saint John Sea Dogs as a rookie almost point per game player. Now a a year older than most rookies normally would be, but uh, that's a pretty good, impressive season for uh, Peter Reynolds, who again, this is another player I don't know a whole lot about. So educate me.
1: He is all about quickness and his feet are quick. His hands are quick, but his mind is super quick. He processes information so fast. He's just all over the ice. Every time he's out there, he's making something happen. Uh, And he again, is on my list here because he's one of those guys that just stands out. He's got that Braden Point ability where people kind of look him off a little bit because of his slight frame, um, but his talent level is through the roof. His ability to create and understand the game is through the roof. Uh, there's just so much to like about this player. A high character, always involved, uh, and, and really wants to win. His drive is is special. So you see those things, and a lot of player, a lot of people, you know, don't give these players the type of attention that they deserve. With the game going the way that it does, and you know, if this player was a European player, we'd be talking about him nonstop about how talented he is. But uh, he's kind of he's kind of been overshadowed. And again, I feel like he's another one of those guys that just fits into that. You guys got to know about this guy because uh, he's going to do something at some point. He's going to turn a lot of heads, and people are going to say, you know. How did this guy not go higher in the draft? And then everyone's gonna say, "Oh, it was because of his size." Well, it's, it's not an excuse anymore. And this player again is—you know—he fits on the poster with some of those other guys. So, uh, really exciting offensive player. Uh, and again, his ability to process information is spectacular. And that's something to me that really, really translates well uh, from the junior level to the professional ranks.
5: Five ten and just under 170 pounds is the sheet that I'm looking at for him. But um, he's put up big numbers everywhere he's been. And in the last three years, he's played at three different levels. So it it seems like it's it's not a a, a difficult thing for him to make that transition to taking a step up either.
1: No, I think you put this kid out on the ice at any level with any level of player, and he's just going to thrive. He's just going to play his game. He's going to have fun. He just seems to really like there's a joy to his game when you watch him play. He loves creating. So fun to watch. Hyper creative. And, you know, he, he gets you out of your seat so Uh, that level, you know, when you have a player that can do that, they they don't come around that often. You know, every year we can talk about high-level guys and how they produce things, but it's the way that he produces things. There's a wow factor to it. Uh, So, you see that joy. Again, that's something I feel like when kids have that joy for the sport and and they like doing that and they love being creative, there's not really any ego or arrogance to his game that, you know, I've seen either. He's just having fun. So, you know, I think you could throw him on the ice with some of the top players in the NHL and all of a sudden, People are going to be turning and looking at him as well, saying, "Oh, this guy, this guy likes to play, and he does." And you know, I, I think that's going to just keep happening uh, as he as he climbs.
5: Sounds like a smart, intelligent player. Uh, let's go to the other guy, and uh, I asked everybody to provide a, the name of one player that uh, that you like, but probably not as much as the consensus out there. So that if, uh, if as an example, if you're scouting for an NHL team and a team right before you takes this player, you're okay with it because that means somebody you like better has just uh, moved down one more spot to you. And uh, for you, uh, you've given me the name of Brennan Othman, who, you know of all the players that we've talked about today, probably the highest ranked. Uh, so what is it about Brennan Othman that leaves you wanting more?
1: Well, again, I hate it when you do this to me. I, <laughs> I complain about it every single year uh, when you when you try and do this because I, I like talking kids up, not talking them down um you know but i said hey this is one i can probably stick handle around a little bit um i i I, I love this player i think he's a phenomenal player uh i think he's a gamer um my my issue with him i guess in terms of why i'm not as high on him as really as i was before and i've kind of picked him apart haven't watched him so much uh is the, the offensive skills are there Um, but I find they're a little one-dimensional, and I find that he can get um, a little bit emotionally disoriented at times. And that's where my red flag with him right now is. Now, all the kids that I know that know him, I don't know him very well, but all the kids that I know that know him uh, rave about him, say he's a a great character. Uh, And so one of the things that I've learned uh, in the last couple of years is that as a scout or a coach, there's going to be players that – irk you with particular things and there's been some instances where he's irked me with some of his reactions but if it doesn't bother the other players it's not really a problem and this is where I'm stick handling around this one because he doesn't bother the other players. Other players love him, love playing with him, um, feel that he's the type of guy that gets things done, goes to dirty areas so he falls into that category of he's done some things to irk me and I need to take a deep breath and he doesn't bother the other players at all so I need to get over it and, and really just keep evaluating what his talents are and what his appeal really is.
6: All
5: right, so where most rankings have him sort of 20 to 30 in that range, that wouldn't surprise you, and it wouldn't. Uh, you don't think that would be uh, too early, you'd, but you just have uh, that one concern.
1: Uh, yeah, and I, I have a feeling someone's going to jump on him earlier than that. Uh, he does have uh, you know a net presence and that ability to manufacture offense and I think there are some teams that want guys like that in their system so I, I, I think he's going to end up going a little bit earlier especially since he's shown so well in high profile events to be able to do that so, but uh, you know I, I, I'd be okay in, in kind of that 20 to 30 range um, with him I think whoever gets him is going to get a really really good player uh, but you know if it's me and I'm in charge uh, you know that's I, I, I wouldn't be jumping out of there uh, after him.
5: Alright, that's uh, the list from Ross McLean. Now, you're not a guy who puts out draft rankings and stuff, uh, so what do you got to promote that I can push for you?
1: <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not really doing a whole lot of stuff that needs to be promoted. I'm just you know, training some kids right now and uh, trying to learn as much as I can from uh, a, a very experienced uh, group with the Calgary Hitmen and the, and the Flames organization uh, to kind of take my run here in the next couple of years, so I'll have a lot more to the pump in the next couple of years but right now it's all about uh taking a taking a step back and learning from some people and and uh figuring out what that that next jump is going to be for me so it's all very exciting stuff
5: awesome well i'm glad that you were able to make some time once again for the pipeline show ross thanks for doing this uh i guess we'll talk to you probably in the fall
1: absolutely it's uh, always a pleasure to be on here it's one of my favorite things to do every year
5: that's always nice of you to say
1: thanks for that <laughs> oh, i mean it you're awesome
5: I am awesome. Ross, you're awesome. Thanks for saying that. And uh, I really appreciate every time that Ross is on the program. And afterwards, I'm always like, man, I got to get him on more. Not just because he says nice things about me, but because he's a great guest with uh, terrific insight and information on players. Uh, I'm still surprised that there hasn't been a, since he he left Hockey Canada, I think it's about a year and a half ago now. uh, I'm surprised there hasn't been a WHL team that's uh, snapped him up full time as like a, a scout or a head scout or even an assistant GM or something, because he's got a wealth of information and uh, really knows players as well. All right, that was Ross McLean. And uh, next up, we continue on with this uh, two-part show. This is the second part. If you missed last week's show, you can go back and you can find that at thepipelineshow.com. The next draft guru in the spotlight is Scott Wheeler from The Athletic. That's next here on The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky.
1: Athena CEO on the one-timer fired it off the end boards. Here's Eklat again, takes the shot, scores!
2: A 4 goal night for Aaron Eklat! Hi, it's Aaron Eklat from the Barry Colts, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show.
3: Spruce Grove Saints AJHL Hockey is back for the 2020-2021 season. Due to the ongoing pandemic, the attendance is limited at the Grant Fear Arena in Spruce Grove. You can follow along across social media at SG Saints and support the Saints by heading to sprucegrovesaints.ca and purchasing your Cash King tickets today. Over $33,000 in prizes to be given away. Again, head to sprucegrovesaints.ca for more information. The Spruce Grove Saints, proud supporters of The Pipeline Show.
1: You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming.
4: Hey, Scott!
5: Okay, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Of course, the program is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Turkey, the best beef turkey in Alberta, and we continue our focus on the 2021 NHL Draft, uh, getting a number of scouts to come on the program and share their thoughts and their insight uh, on a number of players, guys that they feel they might like uh, a little bit more than uh, the consensus out there. And we'll get to one other guy that's on the other side of that conversation. But uh, next up, we're going to go to uh, Scott Wheeler with The uh, Athletic. And uh, Scott, welcome to the program. I apologize because I think this may be, well, if it's not the first time, the first time in a long time since i've had you on the show so welcome to the program i've actually been looking forward to this conversation for a while now you've been a request from the audience that's how popular you are
0: well i'm honored i'm honored that the audience has been throwing my name in the hat here so no this will be fun
5: all right well let's get to it and first off uh, if you're not a subscriber to the athletic you're missing out on a lot of content you and the team over there have been extremely busy yet. As you are all Thank through you. the year, but the your draft coverage has been fantastic. What's the latest stuff that you've got out there as offerings right now?
0: Well, the big thing is is obviously my final sort of draft board and my mock draft, those are the two kind of ten pole pieces that get released this time of the year. Uh, But we've also done a lot of storytelling. Uh, Corey tends to focus more on the analysis side, and and I certainly do plenty of that myself, but I also do a a ton of storytelling. So at The Athletic right now, you can find a a story on Mackie Samoskovich and sort of his upbringing from Sandy Hook all the way to the NHL draft, which was a
4: very difficult
0: story to tell. And, and one that I'm really proud of Uh, you'll find a diary series with Brant Clark. We've uh, spent the year with Brant Clark talking to him regularly over the course of the season. And he has kind of been very generous to, to let us into his life and walk us through what this weird season has been like for him and give us insight into his life over in Slovakia and in Texas. And obviously now in Ottawa, back home, as he prepares for the NHL draft and skates and trains and does all of his interviews and all of that. So those are probably the two that I would point people in the direction of if you're looking for more of the, the sort of narrative side of what we do rather than the analysis. But if you're looking for the analysis, then there's plenty of that here as well.
5: All right. And that's at the athletic.com. And I know I get emails all the time before I was a subscriber that, you know, there's deals here, there's deals now. Uh, what's the, the current uh, offering uh, for uh, to get subscribers to come on board?
0: I think it's just a standard offering. I don't think there's any real promotions happening right now. We do promotions three or four times a year, but I think right now it's your standard uh, $6 a month, I believe. Okay. All right. Well, I have asked
5: every all my guests for the last couple of shows to give me six names that they think they uh, they like more than the, the consensus out there, and uh, you've given me those six names. And let's start not at the top, but right after the top. And uh, you have Kent Johnson from the University of Michigan- Higher than anybody else that I've seen ranked. You have him number two on your list, Scott. Uh, you're obviously a big fan. Tell me why.
0: Yeah, Kent's a player who who fascinates me in a lot of ways. I have often been one of the sort of opponents of drafting the the flashy player that really grabs your eye. I think a lot of the kids that have a ton of skill and can play around with the puck and Uh, can do a lot out there and really make you notice them out there. They often sort of disguise that for how effective they actually are on the ice on a given shift. And I've tried not to fall into that trap with players, but Kent's a player who, for whatever reason, I'm either fully in the trap or uh, I'm on my way tumbling down the hole here. He he, he just, the puck skill really, really intrigues me. I, I think in this draft, where so many of the forwards have question marks, you have to make your bets on the kids who are talented, the kids who are going to be able to play on a top power play unit and play at the top of the lineup. And I think that's the kind of player that Kent projects as. So that isn't to say there aren't kinks in his game. He's not the kind of player I would typically have ranked second overall, but between him and the rest of the forwards in this draft and even the defensemen, Brant Clark, Simon Edmondson, they all have some quirks. This is a very sort of weird top end of the draft where each of the players other than maybe Owen Power and Matt Veneers have real question marks about what they're going to look like at the next level. And Kent's one of those kids where I, I just think you're better off making the skill on, or the bet on his skill uh, than some of those other sort of top forwards, which, which isn't to say that I'm confident he'll be the best player or that um, I, I'm not a, also a fan of William Eklund and, and Dylan Gunther and the rest, because I am. Uh, but Kent's ability to manufacture offense, to create plays for himself, to involve his linemate, to run a power play, those are all pretty unique traits. Uh, And I I think they will slowly translate over time. He's got some things he needs to work on. He's a a very wiry, sort of thin kid, uh, not a very sort of physically imposing athletic kid per se. Uh, So he's going to need to bulk up and add a little bit more muscle. And uh, he can get himself into tough spots, uh, like a lot of kids who have his kind of talent level with the puck on their stick he can put himself in tough spots, he'll skate himself into the corner or skate himself into coverage. And there's the odd turnover that comes with that, etc. But uh, I just really like the skill package and the playmaking package, his ability to facilitate and also to finish. Um, And I, I just think in time, you give him another year or two in college, and he's going to emerge as a darn good, exciting player that's going to be able to play with other talented players and and play at the sort of top of an NHL lineup if he reaches his ceiling. So that's kind of by and large why I'm so so intrigued by him, if you will.
5: I know his final season in the BCHL, 101 points in 52 games and 41 of those were goals. I mean, that's, that's an amazing season and everybody is expecting or wondering, okay, is that going to translate when he takes the big step to the NCAA? And it did, 27 points in 26 games. But also that team is pretty loaded offensively. Mm -hmm. The challenge, I guess, for for a scout would be, all right, is it him or is it because he's a a product of the team? Um, How do you dissect that?
0: I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I think it's impressive that he produced like he did, especially seeing that he made the move from his natural center position, which he played growing up, to the wing. Um, and, and it was a crowded field. I think there, that can go one of two ways for a player on a program like Michigan, where you can get caught up in all of that talent and you can be the one kid that underproduces and you can get pushed off the power play if you're not performing, or you can be one of the kids who, who rises above the crop and outperforms some of those other players. And I would certainly fit Kent into, to that sort of ladder group. I, I think he played as well as as any of those kids, whether it's Brendan Brisson or Thomas Bordolo, he didn't look out of place. And on many nights, he was one of their most, if not their most dynamic players. So um, I think that's a testament to the way that he rose in that group. And certainly it helps playing with those kids. There's no question those kids got him the puck. They played off of him effectively. Um, but he, he also held his own and, and not not only held his own, but was one of the better freshmen in college hockey this season. So, um, I think that's a testament to, to his skill level and to sort of following up that strong season in the BCHL that you alluded to uh, and frankly that season was in line with some of the better seasons we've ever seen in the BCHL it's in line with Alex Newhook in his draft year and it's in line with um, Tyson Jost etc and he did it in his draft minus one albeit he's, he's one of the older players in the draft so he he was a little bit on the older side in that draft minus one so um, we'll see it's 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 going to be interesting to see where Kent goes. I think he could go anywhere from kind of six to 10 or 11. He's not going to go where I have him ranked, but I I think he certainly is going to be a a really good pick in that six to 10 range, if you will.
5: Uh, I've seen it uh, described, or I've heard it described that he's, he's a bit of a perimeter player, but you talked about his size. He isn't that, that thick of a player. He's not that, that bulky of a guy. So if he's on the perimeter, Maybe that's part of his why he's successful. I, with with nine goals and eighteen assists, I think it's fair to say he can score, but he's more of a setup guy, and maybe that plays well to being on the perimeter.
0: Yeah, and I don't think perimeter is necessarily. I've written about this a lot at the Athletic, but I don't think perimeter ought to be a dirty word. I think it is when players aren't making plays from the outside in. But I think Kent's one of those players who is uniquely gifted enough to be able to sort of make plays off the flank and put pucks into space in the middle of the ice for his teammates to capitalize and that kind of a thing. And uh, I hate to make a comparison because I don't love doing that either, but we were saying the same things about Elias Pettersson in Vancouver a few years ago in terms of how skinny he was in his draft year and Kent and Elias are very different players, but I don't think that you have to be a physical overwhelming kind of player to, to really truly hit your ceiling. And I think, some of the NHL teams do believe that Kent is at risk of not doing that because he doesn't have that, those sort of attributes, but um, uh, I, I wouldn't bet against him. I, I'll just say that.
5: All right. You have him number two on your list. Let's go to the next guy who happens to be right after him in number three. And you've mentioned him a bit here already, but uh, Brent Clark. And every time I mention him, uh, I, I have to say that I had him on the show and I really enjoyed the conversations. He's just got a great personality mm-hmm. Uh, And uh, you've been talking to him all year. So uh, you've you've got some really good insight into him. Uh, Tell me about him as a player and then the entire package.
0: Yeah. The thing that's interesting about Brant is that he's a bit of a unicorn in terms of the player side of things. He doesn't really look like anything we've ever seen. This is my eighth draft doing this kind of full-time basis and, I've never scouted a prospect who looks like brand. He's got some quirks. You talk to people around him. I've talked to his minor hockey coaches and his strength and conditioning coach this year. And people will bring Slovakia and his brother. And everybody will tell you that his knees knock in his stride and he really rides his inside edges. And he's not a very athletic kid in the gym and that kind of a thing. And that can be scary to some teams. It it can sort of be a red flag to some teams, but then you watch him on the ice and it doesn't show. He's a fearless kind of roving style player, that kind of fourth forward out there who is always looking to activate. You'll see him deep in the offensive zone, trying to make something happen. He's ultra skilled with the puck on his stick for the defender in terms of his ability to sidestep pressure. So he may be because of the, the knee knocking he isn't an explosive skater, but I would say that laterally he's among the best skaters in the draft for sure. It just in terms of sort of jumping around pressure in the neutral zone and weaving up the ice and that kind of a thing. So it, there's just a ton to like about him. He he's got the skill package, a very unique skill package. And then he's also got this fearless. I'm going to go out and change the game kind of approach and often executes on some very, very difficult NHL level plays. So that is intriguing to me that says okay if if i can build this kid if i can build his package in terms of his skating and get him a little bit stronger and work with him in the gym and maybe make a couple of minor adjustments to his stride then i could have something really special because if he's looking as good out there with those quirks as he already is then the sky's the limit if, if you can sort of slowly make some adjustments over time so i'm a huge huge fan of brant's game and and then off the ice obviously i've gotten to know him and the people around him pretty well this year, and, and he's just a wonderful kid, and I'm really pulling for him in that kind of a way as well. So ro- looking forward, him in particular, looking forward to seeing where he goes on draft day.
5: He's a handful of uh, the OHL guys who did manage to find some ice time overseas. He played 26 games in Slovakia and had 15 points playing with and against men, and then had obviously a good tournament with Canada down in Texas. But um, did you have a chance to watch his uh, his time in Slovakia? I wonder how he fared... With uh, on the big ice with the men.
0: Yeah, a lot of it. And he looked like the same Brant that he's always looked back, like sort of dating back to when I watched him play in, in his Don Mills days. I did a story on Shane Wright in, in their sort of Don Mills Flyers days. And as part of that, watched him play four or five games in AAA at the time. And he's always just, gone out there and played his game he's not and I don't think that's ever going to change I don't think coaches or the NHL or the opposition or the level of play is ever going to change that he's very comfortable in who he is and I think we saw that in Slovakia and Um, obviously there was the maturing process that had to happen over there. His older brother was over there in the early days. Graham was over there for a little while, but then left to go play in the AHL. So he was over there by himself for a while as a 17 year old kid in a foreign country where he doesn't speak the language. And I think he just handled it beautifully. And on the ice, it, it was slow at the beginning. I would say it took him a little bit of time. They also weren't playing him the kind of minutes that he was playing by the end of it. But by the end of it, he was in control he went on an extended point streak before he left and they were really playing him 20, 25 minutes a night down the stretch. So he became a top defenseman in that league and and really began to took over shifts and, and games with his ability to sort of hang onto the puck and walk off the line and really make something happen. So uh, I, I think as he got comfortable over there, you really began to see what he's all about and he, he didn't, I mean, it's not a great level, I've got to be honest, but uh, he, he, he didn't look out of place against men. So that's a big deal for him.
5: Excellent. Uh, that uh, was uh, Brent Clark, uh, as we're speaking with uh, Scott Wheeler from The Athletic. All right, next guy on the list that we're going to chat about is uh, Sasta Pashajov from the uh, U.S. National Development Program. Uh, where do you have him slotted in, and uh, why that high?
0: Well, I've had him kind of in the teams all year and that is a little bit of an uncommon uh, belief or or sort of a bullish belief in him, if you will. You talk to most NHL scouts and they'll tell you sort of wait first if he's lucky, but more likely second. Some teams have him in the third round. Um, So Pastor Jobs, a kid who obviously produced at the top of the MTDP this year, was really the driver on that team when Chad Lucius was out with his knee injury for almost the entire season. Uh, and really stepped up and became the guy offensively and also rounded out his game defensively. Dan Hughes there talks very highly of him and uh, sort of blocking shots, those little things that he added to his game this year. Uh, but the concern with Sasha is his skating. And he's sort of, it, it can look a little sluggish out there. It's at probably average at best. Um, I, I still think he's going to make it work though. I think skating for one is if you talk to skating coaches or development coaches, I think most would agree that skating is one of the tools that's easiest to improve upon. Uh, he'll have that time in college to, to work on it and everything else is there. His, his production package certainly is there. I mean, he has produced in line with the Clayton Kellers of the world and the Alex turcotts of the world. Like he has produced at the very top of the last decade of NTDP uh, production. Uh, so that, that profile is already there in spades. And I think when you have that kind of a track record and then have the skill that he has, he was very much a playmaker for Chaz a year ago and a goal scorer on his own this year. Uh, so when you can do both of those things and do them at a very high level, and then when you've got the skill package, he's got okay size, all of those things I think are going to allow him uh, moving forward to be much better than a second or third round pick at the very least. So, uh, even if he doesn't live up to to sort of where I have him in the teens, I do think that Sasha has a, a really good chance to be a value pick if he ends up slipping because of his skating, because there just aren't very many kids who've done what he's done and have the kind of talent that he has that don't make it work long-term. He he's just looks like one of those players from everywhere else other than his skating, he, he looks like a legitimate NHL prospect to me. All
5: right, but a guy who still has some things to work on in the skating, very much so. So uh, Whereas mm-hmm. a lot of the high-end college guys will go one, maybe two years at the most, you expect maybe Pastor is more of a two-, three-year sort of guy to give him that time to uh, improve that skating?
0: Yes, definitely.
5: Well, he's going to the University of Notre Dame to play for the Fighting Irish, a good school and a good... Uh, coaching staff there as well so he's going to a good place uh Sean Barrons a teammate of his with the National Development Program he's going to Denver uh, where do you have him and uh what, what is it about Barrons that uh, that stands out for you
0: It's funny uh, in my early list this sort of preliminary list that I released in the last fall um after watching their first few games of of him with the NTDP and having watched him a little bit uh, a year ago with the under seventeen team, obviously, I was really, really excited about sean and then through the midway point, he fell from kind of the twenties on my list to kind of into the forties before landing back uh in the twenties at the at the end of the year so i' I've, I've been a little bit all over the place with with Sean over the course of this season. I thought in the middle portion of the year. There were games when they were battling injuries and battling a lot of illnesses due to COVID and he was asked to step up and he just never really grabbed the reins. And then it's funnily enough, I think that's exactly what he did down the stretch and into UA teams when they were also very, very banged up. And He's a smaller player, which makes him a little bit harder to project. Certainly as a defenseman, we know that the game is getting smaller at forward, but it still is, frankly, pretty hard for, for five foot nine, five foot 10 defensemen to be as good at higher levels as they are at lower levels. But Sean's a kid who has the offensive package, his ability to walk the line, his ability to walk off the line, his ability in the neutral zone and on breakouts to be that sort of one man, uh, entry and exit machine kind of player. That's all there. But I think what often gets sort of miscast with Sean is his defensive game. If you if you talk to Dan Hughes again at the program, Dan raves about his ability to defend the rush, his ability to defend in the corners and in front of the net with how hard he works, uh, and basically says that he, he has never noticed how small he is. And, and I always tended to agree with Dan on that because he's a kid who works very hard off the puck, Defends with a maturity that is pretty rare for his age, plays tight gaps, and then also has that sort of offensive package. So he's off to Denver next year. They've already got a couple of very talented offensive defensemen in that Denver program. So he will really be the third uh, great power play option that they have. So it'll be interesting to see whether he gets power play time right away. Um, But he uh, Sean is a kid that I, I think has an opportunity to become a very dominant dominant player at, at the collegiate level and kind of become that sort of Ian Mitchell kid who comes out of nowhere and just become well not out of nowhere, but is maybe a second or third round pick who who really establishes himself in the same category as some first round picks over the course of a good collegiate career. So That's kind of where I see him projecting. And I think if you can get Sean in the second round, which I think is more than likely, I don't think he's going to be picked inside the first round. Uh, I think there could be real value there long term as kind of a second pairing guy who can run a power play, and despite being maybe a little on the smaller side, can hold his own in his own in his own end.
5: You're taking uh, my questions right uh, before I even ask them. You mentioned Ian Mitchell. I was gonna say Denver had Will Butcher, mm-hmm. and then he moved on, and Ian Mitchell came in and took over that role. And I wondered if Barons could be the guy that kind of replaces Mitchell in that regard. And there you go. You're answering my questions before I even ask them. Uh, Scott Wheeler from the Athletic, uh, a terrific guest so far. And uh, now I'm gonna start learning some things because you, you got a couple guys on the list that I'm less familiar with, and uh, Samu Salmanen is one of them. This is Here's a fella that further down the radar for most people, but you have him at the tail end of your first round, uh, Scott. Six foot three, 190 pounds. Sounds like on paper there's lots to like, but why do you have him in the first round?
0: Yeah, Samu's Sam a kid who I've kind of had. I have him at 29 on my final board, and he's kind of been in the late 20s, 30s range for me all year. And a lot like and Miettinen, the kid the Leafs took in the sixth round a year ago, Samu didn't get to play at the professional level this year because he's committed to college. And I think last year, one of the big reasons that VT stuck around in the draft and was a bit available for the Leafs uh, in that kind of range was just because he didn't get the limelight that comes with playing in Liga. And so you, get, you dominate so much. VT did that. You just, you just get to a level where you dominate so much at the Finnish Junior League, and it becomes a little bit harder to evaluate you. Um, and I think the same thing has happened with Samu this year. VT uh, obviously went off to St. Cloud State. Um, Samu's heads off to the NCAA next year. And Samu's a bigger kid than VT was. VT obviously was the NCHC rookie of the year and had a great year and looked like a much better player than a sixth round pick you would expect would look like. And I think Samu, the same kind of thing is going to play out. He's a bigger kid. Skating is also, like with Pastor Jobs, the concern with Salminen, He's not the smoothest skater in the world, but he's one of the best goal scorers and shooters in the draft. He's got a lethal shot from basically anywhere inside the offensive zone. He can shoot it off of different points on his body and different stances. It comes off quick. It comes off hard. So that part of it is already there. He's going to score a lot of goals in college hockey. Uh, but then I like the rest of his game as well. He's always been a leader wherever he's played. He's a reliable two-way player. He can play center or the wing. Uh, so th- there's a lot to like about Samu. And another kid who I just think if his skating picks up a step over the next three, four years in college, I think he'll emerge as a legitimate player, the kind of player that gets an entry-level contract and is given an opportunity, whether in the AHL or the NHL, to prove himself. And I think that those kinds of players, uh, even if you have to play the waiting game for them, have major value once you get outside the sort of top 20 in a draft. Uh, And I think he kind of fits into that kind of a range. Once you're past the true cream of the crop in this draft class, all of the players that follow will have quirks in their own ways. And I'd be pretty comfortable betting on Salmanin to sort of correct his skating a little bit and have the rest of the package already there.
5: He had nine points for the Finns at the, uh, the World U18 down in Texas. Uh, in those seven games, so he was one of their more offensive players. He's going to Denver eventually. You're saying he's going to go like in the next three months, or does he have another year of junior ahead of him first?
0: He's going for next year that's that's my understanding of his plan and their plans for him, so I believe he'll be at Denver next year. He's a kid who will kind of fit into that group too. I mean, they've got Carter Savoy, another kid who can really shoot the puck and had concerns about his skating and although Carter had concerns about other things in terms of his fitness and and the way that he worked out on the ice and that kind of a thing but uh, last I checked, Samuel was still committed for, for next year, so unless that's been pushed back, I believe he's joining Denver in the fall.
5: All right. Well, they've got a couple other fins on the team already, so it'll be a comfortable uh, landing spot for him. Uh, now, Joshua Roy is a um, kind of a divisive player out of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. He was the first overall pick for the St. John Sea Dogs a number of years ago, but mm-hmm. demanded a trade uh, and uh, got it. He went to Sherbrooke this year. Uh, his numbers didn't really take off, And I know there were some people that uh, him demanding a trade was a bit of a red flag for, but you still like the talent and um, uh, tell me why you have him as high as you do, which correct me if I'm wrong, but he's right near the end of the first round as well.
0: Yeah. I have Josh as as kind of a second round pick in this draft and, I'm still a big believer. First of all, I mean, the the two big things with the trade, I've spoken with people in in St. John. They were obviously disappointed that he wanted to leave, but I think they were very understanding as well. I've spoken with Trevor Georgie, their GM, about it. And the way that he explained it to me, he said, look, this kid, his family wasn't able to visit due to strict protocols in the Maritimes. Um, they, they nobody was allowed in he was basically here alone and he just wanted to be uh, closer to family he felt like he got off to a bit of a tough start and then he was just homesick in his own kind of a way so uh, that, that was the biggest contributing factor to the trade, it wasn't about character concerns or the fact that he was uh, particularly unhappy in any kind of way in St. John, it was just a little bit of a change of scenery, a little bit of a restart and a restart closer to family where they could come and visit him in Quebec so mm. They they granted him that. And I thought in both places, he played quite well. Neither of those teams were surrounded with, particular, with all that much talent. I think if he was on a contending team, his numbers would have looked a little bit better, but he had to do a lot of it himself in both places. Um, and I, I just think he's a player who protects the puck extremely well. Uh, the coaching staff in St. John's rave uh, or, or rave before they traded him about his ability to get to his spots and get get off shots into this sort of home plate area and really just overwhelm people with his puck protection skill off the cycle. And then I think there's a talent package there that that is still going to blossom. I I think there's a good chance that Josh is one of the breakout players in the QMJHL next year. Um, and if he is, I think he'll look more like the first overall pick and the true star prospect that he really was growing up playing AAA hockey. So um, I'm, I'm still, I'm not ready to give up on Josh. I, th- I think there's a really good package there. And even this year where he kind of hovered around point per game in both markets, that's still good production for a player who was playing on, on lines that frankly, his, his, his line mates weren't the greatest. So um, we'll, we'll see, but I, I, I do think there's more there than meets the eye with, with Roy. How's the skating? Uh, again, it's not the greatest um you y you're you're probably noticing a theme here in the kids that I'm willing to, to yeah, sort of bank I am, on. But, I am. um it's it's not the greatest. That's probably, and he would tell you this, but that's probably the one area that he needs to work on. I did a story on his team, which went on a, like a 30 game win streak in AAA hockey a few years ago. And I spoke with him at the time. And I remember asking him kind of off the record. It wasn't really a story about him. It was more about the team, but I asked him off the record sort of what he, his biggest area was that he wanted to work on. And, and he said, his skating at the time. And I think that remains true today. So um, I wouldn't say he's slow by any stretch. He's, he's a better skater than than Pastor Job and Salminen, um, but it's still I wouldn't say it's the strength of his game either.
5: I do agree with you though that if there's you know a, a flaw or an asset that is uh, weaker than the others, I mean if you, if you can score goals, that's a that's a natural talent and uh, the hockey IQ and all of those types of things. It's tough to learn, but skating is probably the mechanics of getting a better stride and, and a more powerful stride. That is something that can be learned.
0: Yeah, and I, I think the game isn't the track meet that people maybe think it is. It certainly is through the through the neutral zone in terms of the way that the NHL is being played. This, this these days, it's very fast through the neutralized. But once the puck is carried over the line, things really do slow down inside the offensive zone. And I, I think once things slow down, the, the skills that matter are different than speed. You you need to be able to protect the puck. You need to be able to get open. You need to be able to know how to put pucks into space. And I think those things become more valuable than your ability to quickly accelerate or your first three strides. So, will some of those three players that we've kind of talked about will they maybe drag behind the playoff, the rush into the new, through neutralize? Maybe, but I, I don't think between the races that are the the short races that are won inside the defensive zone, all three of them in terms of their work ethic, that kind of a thing. I don't think those are going to be issues. And then they also all three in their own ways have skill inside the offensive zone that allows them to, to play when the game's a little bit slower there.
5: Scott Wheeler from The Athletic is my guest as we uh, go through his uh, list of six guys that he thinks he's higher on than most people. Now let's get to the other side of the conversation. There's one guy that you like, but if you're an NHL team and he gets taken before it's your turn to draft, you're okay with that because that means somebody else has, has slipped down to you that you might like more. Uh, Fedor Svechkov is a guy that most people I think almost every list I've seen has him as a first-round guy. You don't, mm-hmm. but you have him just outside of that, and uh, 36th overall. Uh, so why are you not as high on Svechkov as everybody else seems to be?
0: Yeah, well, first of all, it's worth saying that there's a little doubt in my mind that, that Fedor goes kind of in that 11 to 20 range. I, I think that's where you'll see him picked. Uh, I don't even hate that as a range for him. But I I do think he's more of a sort of late 20s, 30s guy for me. And I think the big reason for that is that, A, when I watched him this year and a little bit last year, I was always coming away from my viewings impressed by him, but I was never particularly excited by him. I think he and and most NHL scouts would probably agree that he's an excellent two-way player. He's a very talented all-around player. But there's nothing about his offensive package in particular that really leaps off. So he's got good hands and he can finish and he plays on the inside of the ice and he doesn't drift to the perimeter and he's got good skill as a playmaker. But none of those things are really sort of game breaking qualities, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I think you do need to have that kind of upper echelon skill package to become a sort of 11 to 20 pick in in an NHL draft, right? He's probably projects as a sort of two or three C at the NHL level. I think he'll be that kind of middle six center. And in this draft, because it's so thin on centers, um, I I do think that there's a good opportunity that he'll go kind of 11, 12, 13, 14, as a team looks for that kind of a player. But uh, I do, I'm not convinced he's going to be a first power play type. I'm not convinced he's going to be a real driver offensively in a middle six role. I think you're just looking at a very good, well-rounded player who maybe lacks that sort of next quality that you, that you look for in a true sort of top end prospect. So I like Fedor. He's he's an excellent defensive player for a forward his age in particular uh, and a very well-rounded player with the, with and without the puck offensively. But I, I just always was waiting for him to, to really excite me and grab me and show like that kind of top prospect that many believe he is. And I just never quite felt like that.
5: So he might not have the ceiling in your eyes to be a first-round guy, but the the floor, if he's a a number three or a number four center that can penalty kill for you, that's worth a second-round pick.
0: Yeah, no question. And frankly, in this draft, that might be worth a late first-round pick as well.
5: Okay. Well, Scott, that was outstanding information. I really appreciate you making the time here. I I know it's awfully busy for you at this time of year. Uh, Between now and the actual draft, uh, what do you have coming out that you can kind of give us a heads-up on?
0: Yeah, I've got a big story on Owen Power that I've been working on with Owen over the course of the last few months. So we've kind of held that one for last because he's the one who's going to be getting the most attention in the in the week leading up to the draft. So that'll be out in the next few days. Uh, I've got another story on Brennan Offman coming that I've been working on with Brennan for a little bit. Uh, So those are the two sort of final stories, if you will. And then it'll just come draft day and draft day is just about breaking it all down and, and giving my honest take on how all 32 teams now rather than 31 mm-hmm. uh sort of did with their picks and, being honest about the kids that I know and the kids that I don't, because to be honest, there will be, uh, as much as I do this year round, there will be kids who are selected that I'm I'm not all that familiar with. So it'll just be about kind of breaking it all down once it's over.
5: Well, I appreciate you saying that because that makes me feel better because there's lots of guys get drafted that I don't know about and I don't watch these guys as intently uh, as you do and the rest of the Scouts do. Um, Scott, I hope you uh, don't mind if I keep your number and call you again because uh, this was outstanding.
0: Yep, anytime, Gee, Thanks so much.
5: Scott Wheeler from The Athletic. I was excited when he sent me the list of guys he wanted to talk about because no one's really touched on Kent Johnson yet uh, from the University of Michigan. Great season, great freshman season for the Wolverines. Uh, But usually is appearing, you know, in the 7, 8, 9, 10 area for uh, rankings. But uh, Scott's got him really, really high. So I was excited when he sent me that list. And and, uh, Johnson's name was at the top. Backs up his argument, though, doesn't he? Like he's got... Lots of positive things to say, um, and just makes draft day all that much more intriguing. Goes this weekend, Friday and Saturday night this weekend. So uh, I was planning on having this uh, this episode come out on Wednesday, but as it's right now, it's Tuesday as I'm speaking with you right now. I'm putting it together. It might be done. I might even be able to get it out before the clock strikes midnight tonight. Officially making it Wednesday, but might be a, a sneak preview for. Those of you who are uh, night owls, depending on what part of the planet you're on. Uh, But I'm excited to get this uh, this show out. And then we've got the draft, and then uh, we've got the draft recap next week. And then uh, about a 10-day vacation for me, and back for season 17 in um, early August. But we've got one more guest to get to before the draft, and he's coming up next. His name is Gavin Chasson. And he created this new group, calling it Recruit Scouting. They've been in operation for just over a couple of years now. Wanted to pick his brain about some guys for the draft. And let's do that next, here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky.
2: Stutzler, back to Cider across the box. Dominic Clock. great pass in for Stutzler. Slides it
4: back across, they score!
2: Hello, this is Tim Schlitzler from Mannheim, and this is the Pipeline Show.
5: The Troubled Month Brew of the Week is the one that started it all. Tell us more about this classic, bud. Golden Gates
2: Golden Ale. An easy-drinking golden ale that you can use as your gateway to craft beer. This beer highlights the best malt in the world, grown right here in our backyard. Player comparable,
1: Nathan McKinnon. Underrated, yet awesome, every time out.
5: Troubled Monk, visit the tap room in Red Deer or get free same-day home delivery in Alberta by placing an order at troubledmonk.com. Troubled Monk, craft beverages worth sharing.
1: You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. All
5: right, we are back on The Pipeline Show. Final segment to go in this week's episode, which means it's the final segment before the 2021 NHL Draft. Of course, The Pipeline Show is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky in Alberta. And with the draft uh, right around the corner here, uh, obviously the last couple shows have been just gathering lots of hockey folks to come on the program and uh, tell me about six of their personal favorites and one other guy that they like, but not as much as everybody else seems to. And uh, we will close out this week's episode with uh, a newcomer to the Pipeline show, as I'm uh, happy to, welcome, uh, to program, uh, time, uh, welcome to the program for the first time, Gavin Chason. Welcome to the program, Gavin. How are you?
6: I'm doing very well. How are you?
5: I'm doing fantastic. Now, tell me about recruit scouting, how long you've uh, been working, uh, a little bit about uh, the, the staff and, and how you put everything together and, uh, and where people can get your information.
6: Awesome. So, yeah, uh, recruit scouting was kind of something I started probably about maybe even two and a half years ago um, on Instagram. I thought it would be kind of cool to have a, a little personal um scouting page that a few of my buddies can follow and you know i would just upload uh draft rankings and and um you know for the ohl for the nhl all of that uh i even did some like hey ncaa teams here are some players you should keep your eye on for junior a players in canada
3: right and
6: uh that's that's about all i did And then last year, COVID started, and I thought, you know what? It would be a really cool idea, because I did not have a team at the time. Um, I thought it would be a really cool idea to start up my own brand and bring recruit scouting more to Twitter, because um, I was starting to build, I mean, not like a big Twitter presence, but I was just getting used to getting onto Twitter and and talking hockey there. And I asked a few guys if they would be... uh, if they would like to join, a couple of them said, yeah, no, if you start it up, uh, we'd love to get onto that. So I started it up. It's been uh, a bit over a year now. I think we celebrated about one year in, in May. I guess that's more so when the pandemic really started. Right. And uh, it's been great so far. We've had a lot of people uh, join the team. Uh, a lot of great people. Uh, Gabe Foley. A lot of people are are pretty aware of his name. Um, Ash Glover, he's from Australia, which is just absolutely insane. And he's, he's got to be one of the smartest, uh, scouts I've ever interacted with. And I'm so happy to have him on the team. Um, as well as Jacob Heromata. um, I should be saying Jacob Heromata. Um, he's from Europe. He's our head of, head of European scouting. He's awesome too. Uh, the team that we've assembled is just absolutely great.
5: Awesome. And recruitscouting.com is the website. People can go there and see the rankings. you got a mock draft going, information about yourself and the staff, a bunch of player profiles. So there's lots of info there for uh, fans to cram in before the, the actual draft gets here. Uh, this uh, this coming, well, well, geez, it's right around the corner uh, in a, just a few days. Alright, <laughs> I asked everybody for uh, six of your personal favorites. Now I don't know if these are, are, are your personal favorites, Gavin, or if this is, uh, you know, guys that appear on On your uh, your your groups on recruiting scouting uh, recruit scouting's uh, you know final rankings, on average higher than where they are for most people. Um, But uh, let's start with uh, with Francesco Pinelli of the Kitchener Rangers, who uh, comes in on your final ranking at number twelve. And now everybody seems to have him as a first rounder, but maybe not as high as uh, the high teens where you have him. Uh, Why do you like uh, Pinelli so much?
6: I tell you, uh, it's been a very difficult year to scout, as, as many would uh, agree with that, especially with Francesco Pinelli getting into just a few games over in Europe and then the Canada U18s. Um, I took a liking to him. It, it was kind of weird. I had him, obviously, as a first-round pick uh, around the same time that Elite Prospects released their first ranking, and I mm-hmm. think they ended up throwing him in at six. And a lot of people were like, whoo? That is really high for Pennelly, especially for a guy who has not played this year yet. Um, and I think I really started to take my liking when I kind of went, oh, my God, like I can I can see it. Uh, but he never entered my top 10 territory. But I was like, no, this guy, this guy really is the real deal. How he played last year. I kind of want to see how he plays this year. We'll figure it out at the U18s. I honestly thought that he may have been Canada's um Probably second best draft eligible player uh, in the tournament, of course, ahead of even Dylan Gunther. and I would say Logan Stankovin probably had the best tournament um, for my viewings. And yeah, Panelli is an absolutely uh, great player. I am actually writing a mini draft guide at the moment. I'm hoping to release it on on Thursday or so, mm-hmm. maybe even the day of the draft. Um, and I was just writing about all the prospects I'd ranked, kind of giving an explanation. And I was just writing for Francesco Pinelli being my number 12 pick. Uh, you know, I think he's an explosive skater. He can change the tempo of the game. Much of the time he steps onto the ice and the puck is on his stick or the puck is following him. He's just, he's got that kind of jump in the game where the puck is, he's always going to be involved. And as I was writing on uh, why I have him at 12, I was almost thinking to myself, like, holy, like I don't even know if I described the other players ahead of him that much. Like he very well could be a top 10 prospect uh, in this draft. And I think if he were to have a full season in the OHL, he very well could be in that conversation. I think, I know he's dropped on elite prospects board now, but I think they, they could have nailed the, the head of the nail, uh on him being at number six
5: yeah you mentioned elite they got him at 16 and i know central scouting has him at 15 but that's in north america uh again i don't think anybody has him quite as high uh, as you do but uh, lots to like again you know he's not an undersized guy at uh, at six foot one and 185 probably more like 190 pounds now mm-hmm. 41 points as a rookie uh, last year you know a season ago 18 goals in 59 games that's awfully uh, impressive and then, uh, you know, with, misses an entire year and then has an 11-point performance at the World U18. So uh, it seems to like exactly. there's, there's lots to like for Francesco Pinelli. Um, all right, let's go to the next guy on the list, and uh, that would be Nikita Chiburkov, who you have right after that. Uh, I believe you have him uh, 13, so right after Pinelli, uh, And again, a lot of people do like him in the first round, but uh, you seem to like him more than most. Why would that be?
6: I think I actually have Chibrikov uh, on my personal rankings up at 11, I believe. Okay. I think just, just ahead of Panelli there. Um, especially in a draft like this where a lot of players haven't played a full season or they've played a, a very different season that, you know, obviously shapes um, how comfortable they are playing elsewhere. Um, and obviously a draft where there isn't much of a consensus, uh, almost entirely in the first round everywhere you look. Of course, there are names that are going to go in the first and everyone knows. Um, but Chibrikov is kind of kind of a player I, I would take a swing on outside of the top 10. And I would almost recommend a team take a swing on him if they have more than one first-round pick this year or if they already have a strong um, draft pool because Chibrikov is going to be a hit-or-miss prospect. When he is on his game, he's one of the most elite players on the ice and you can notice him every single time super speedy player fantastic hands he gets in front of the net he likes driving but he can also be an exceptional playmaker as well he has terrific vision when he's on the sides of the ice closer towards the boards where he can just make passes happen in front of the net and he can be a high impact player he's uh he's definitely got some explosiveness to his game and while there are consistency issues with him. um I think at best, you could be looking at a guy who's going to be on your first line in the NHL. And especially in a draft like this, to get that at 11, I think um, you're really making bang for your buck.
5: Captain for Russia at the World U18, had a strong performance there uh, offensively, 13 points in seven games. So it seems like there's lots to like. Um, Now, I'm not a scout. I don't consider myself to be a scout. I watch a lot of junior and college hockey, but I didn't see any of his games while he was playing in Russia and he played in the KHL and the VHL and the MHL. Did you get a chance to watch any of those games?
6: Yeah, obviously with him being uh, in my first round for pretty much the entire year. And um, I think constantly within my top 15, uh, I watched him several times, probably six, seven, maybe eight or nine times this year. Um, I don't, I I pay attention to what league he's playing in, but I can't be for sure if I've seen him play at each level, but I know I've I've seen him play at at least two of them. I know I've seen him in the KHL. I know I've seen him in the MHL for sure. And what he's brought uh, to those games has just, it it has impressed me a lot. Um, Like I said, I I don't know if you're going to get a player at number 11 in this draft who could be uh, a potential first line player in the NHL. And while his potential does range, if he can reach that first-line spot and gain his consistency, he is a very skillful player, and I think it's definitely worth the risk.
5: All right, let's go to the next guy. He comes in at number 15. That would be Xavier Borgo, forward with the the, um, Shawinigan Cataract uh, of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, listed at six foot, just over 170 pounds, so sort of average size. Uh, but an offensive season: 20 goals, 20 assists, 40 points in just 29 games for the Cataract this year, and uh, he was more than a point per game player uh, last year for that club. He is a late birthday, so he's got three years of major junior under his belt already. Tell me about him.
6: Yeah, I uh, definitely as a two way centerman too. He he rings as a true centerman in the NHL. Um, obviously, when you are a two way player who can put up 40 points in 29 games, I think teams better turn their heads and look at him and, and figure out what's going on. Um I read somewhere I would expect it to be true, it comes from a reliable source, that 85 or at least close to 85% of his points this year were primary. So his 20 goals and however many primary assists still brought him over to uh more than a point per game in just primary points, mm. uh all while being a two way player. I think that's absolutely fantastic. Um, I'm not sure he's going to translate to, to a top six, uh, forward. I could definitely see him being a potential second line center. Um, safe for bet being a third line center on a team who's going to bring two way, uh, abilities to the game. He's got physicality to his game. He knows how to push guys into the boards, keep them there. Uh, he's a possession driver as well. Absolutely love that about him. And, I just think he's got fantastic vision. He's a smart player. He reads the game well on both ends of the ice. He's got a good motor. Uh, I think that's exactly what teams are looking for. Um, probably within the pooh, 12 to 28 range. If you can snatch Xavier go up, you're getting a pretty good player.
5: Any notes on how strong he is at taking face-offs? Like, what is he at the dot? in Because ter- if, he, if he's only going to be second, third-line guy, uh, I want to make sure he's winning draws or he has some sort of niche uh, skill set like that kill penalties or something.
6: Uh, I actually can't be sure how good he is at the face-off dot. I know I read into it. I know I wrote it down. I could be wrong on this, but I believe he was well over 50% in the face-off dot, which I really liked. And that might explain why I put him up um, a little bit higher. All right. He's very good at uh, killing penalties as well. Um, Definitely a guy that you're going to want on your special teams unit.
5: Gavin Chaisel from uh, Recruit Scouting is my guest here as we uh, go through a list of uh, some of his or his group's uh, favorite players for the 2021 NHL Draft. Uh, Another guy that you have in the first round, this one uh, a little bit later in the first round, but at 24 overall, uh, Jack Peart, who played for the Fargo Force uh, this year for most of the season. He was also playing high school hockey, but uh, I know the buzz about Peart started to grow as the season went on and into the playoffs. Uh, Where did he kind of uh, hit your radar?
6: He hit my radar pretty early on in the year. Uh, I'm not going to say like September, October, but probably around December, January, I think I made a tweet. uh, And I said, I don't know if people are, are giving this guy enough love, but Jack Pert definitely deserves to be a top 50 pick. Usually I'm not very big on high school players, but he was just starting to play in the USHL. And I thought, He was nothing short of impressive. Um, That being said, the more the year went on, he entered, I think, pretty close to my first round um, in my February rankings. And then, boom, the playoffs hit. And I was just more and more impressed to him. Uh obviously recruit scouting has him at twenty-four, my own personal rankings. I have him at nineteen and in the same tier as Nikita Chibrakov at eleven. Okay. Um I might be one of the highest people on Pert this year, and I would never back down from from sharing my opinion on him. Um I think I have them that high because there were so many times where I was watching either uh players on the Fargo Force or teams that they were playing against and You know, I'm I'm a very busy guy. I'm watching tons of action in hockey each day. I can't remember what everyone's number is. Um, But there are times where I was watching other prospects trying to analyze them, and I was like, oh, my God, who's this number four kid on Fargo? Like, he's absolutely killing it. And sure enough, I look to the back of his uh, jersey, and it says Pert, and I'm just like, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, The kid's got exceptional vision. Um, Craig Button loves to use the term um Einstein like hockey IQ mm. uh, I think he's even used it for one of the forwards actually I think he used it for Brent Clark this year who is a de- defense um I would honestly argue that Jack Pert might also have Einstein like hockey IQ he never fails to impress me defensively nor offensively in the defensive zone he's so good at using his body obviously he's undersized but his physicality is still there He has a very good defensive stick. He's really good at guiding players to the outside where low danger shot attempts are more likely to happen. He's great at stealing the puck from players on the defensive end and getting possession. That's one thing that I think makes him elite. Um, Offensively, terrific passer. He's constantly constantly protecting the puck from anyone who's trying to steal it from him. Um, He doesn't play fancy. He just plays super, super smart. And I'm sure when he gets off the ice, his coaches really have nothing to to critique him for. Uh, Probably one of the safest players in this draft, and most teams have him outside the first round, which I think is absurd. If a team does take him in the first round, I think they're getting a first-round player for sure. Uh, Anything after that is just the cherry on top.
5: Seven points in nine playoff games for the Fargo Force this year. That's pretty darn impressive for a, a rookie in the playoffs. He's headed to St. Cloud State. Uh, To join the Huskies, uh, that'll be this fall. Uh, Joshua Roy was a a first-round pick in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League a couple years ago, demanded a trade this year, got it. Uh, He moved from St. John to Sherbrooke. His numbers, basically a point-per-game guy in both the cities, so it didn't uh, really elevate his production or anything like that. But uh, you like him enough to have him uh, fairly high in your second round. uh, Your impression of uh, Joshua Roy would tell you what?
6: My impression of him is that there is a lot that needs to be worked on. I'm not going to hide it. Uh, The reason I chose him, there are some people, uh, a part of recruit scouting who really don't like him. And uh, I think I chose him just to get some payback because I like sharing (laughs) this about Joshua DeWa and Ash Glover takes my side on this as well. Um, But yeah, he's got size to him. He's obviously not undersized. He's still six foot, I think 190 pounds I believe. Yeah. Um and yeah there's there's probably more than a few red flags in his game. He can be lazy, he can be inconsistent. Uh sometimes there are games where I'm watching and I'm just like ah, I I'm not really sure what you were trying to do there but <laughs> it didn't look good. Uh there are that there is that. But his point production in the QMJHL shows me that there's something there and the more I watch him the more I keep saying this to people is he may be one of the best positional players in this draft. Uh, He never fails to amaze me on how he's able to find open space so easily. And with the amount of goals he scored this year, there's gotta be something in him, Right. And I think that's it is he's one of the best positional players. He's going to take a lot of work. If an NHL, team is going to draft him. You cannot ignore this kid because he's very much a boomer bust you're going to have to work him try to get the consistency issues under control uh laziness a lot of players can get fixed for that we see it in the nhl all the time um and you know his decision making might come with confidence i'm not sure it's going to be hard to get him up to what you want him to be but his ability to find space in the offensive zone is clear to me and clear to me enough to have him in the second round, despite a lot of people having them around the 70s or even lower. I like him. I think there's a lot of potential in him.
5: Yeah, you mentioned the goal scoring. 22 goals this year over 35 games, split between uh, the two clubs that he played for. Overall, his production in the Q. remember, he's a first overall pick. 79 points in 95 games. I would suggest that's probably behind the pace uh, you know, in comparison to past uh, number one picks in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, but uh, I know that uh, he's a French kid who went to St. John, and then COVID hit, and he's kind of isolated from his family, and that led to the to the trade request, uh, so we'll see. Maybe next year is a big breakout season for Joshua Roy. He could. Yeah, Dylan Grattan is uh, the last guy on the, this side of the ledger that we're going to chat about, forward with the Youngstown Phantoms, excuse me, defenseman with the Youngstown Phantoms, listed at 6 foot and uh, 176 pounds, so Pretty average size. Uh, his numbers: seventeen points in forty-seven games. Pretty average numbers. Uh, what is it that you like about him? Where do you have him ranked, by the way?
6: Uh, I'm not sure he made our team rankings. I don't believe he did. All right, so but personal he is favorite. He's 99th on my board. Yeah, very far away from the consensus. I'm not even sure he gets drafted this year. But he's a player who I would say, obviously, does not play the same position, doesn't play the same style. But last year, I said Elliot Desnoyers is definitely one to keep an eye on he put up pretty average points in the QMJHL in his draft year although I watched him and I said there's something here with this kid he's he's you know he's in the right spots he plays a solid game he's fast he's got a good shot I'm not sure why he's not putting up the numbers and then this year he exploded in the QMJHL and Philadelphia took him in I think the fifth or sixth round I believe the fifth round last Mm, year yeah and I knew I knew that he was he was going to have a breakout year. Uh, not to plug myself, but there were times where I screenshotted that tweet, and <laughs> anytime someone would mention him, I was like, hey, look, I predicted that. Um, Dylan Gratton has got to be that player for me this year. Um, obviously, like you said, the point totals don't really stand out. He's a pretty average-sized defender. What is it that I see in him? Yeah. Defensively, he's solid as a rock. Same things I see with pert uh, defensively. I see with Grattan. terrific defensive stick. He's like constantly poking the puck away from defenders. He's bringing them to the outside uh, of the net. He does a great job at doing that. Um, he pushes guys into the boards. He's physical. Um, I just, I, I like him in a defensive sense. I'm not sure how much offensive. Um, oh boy. Potential I see in him, but, the defense is there. I think he's great on that side of the ice and towards the end of the season, he put up a few more points in his last 10 games than he usually would. Um, and he was starting to catch some heat. A lot of them were primary. Uh, I think there was probably three or four games and I think he had two or three points. I could be wrong. It could be even more than that. Um, but I think I could see a breakout year for him coming. I seriously do. And that's why I have him at 99. Um, obviously ranking Desnoyers, i ranked him pretty low last year even though most people didn't have him ranked I said he was going to be a breakout player he ended up being that and i'm like you know what i should have had him higher my gut feeling said to have him higher so this year dylan gratton i i do not wait to put him at 99 that's my gut feeling
5: all right uh he's headed to penn state good program he's going to play for guy Gadowski. his older brother tyler Grattan is there now so a good fit for him and and maybe, you're, mm-hmm. you know, maybe he doesn't get drafted, but maybe three, four years from now, we're talking about one of the premier free agent guys coming out of college. Uh, and uh, so that might be something to watch for, too. And then people will remember Dylan Grattan, Yes, that's right. Gavin told us about him on the Pipeline show. There you go.
6: Yes, that's right. That's right.
5: All right, Gavin, I asked everybody for one guy that, uh, that you like. But probably not as much as the consensus out there. And so if you're an NHL team that's drafting and the team right before you picks this guy, you're okay with it because it means somebody that you like more has slid down one more spot to you. That's right. Most people, most rankings that I've seen out there have a Jesper Wallstead, maybe even top 10, and probably both he and Sebastian Coast in the top 15, top 20. You don't, uh, Jasper Wallstead coming in number 16 on your list, uh, for recruit scouting. I'm not sure where he is on your personal list and Sebastian Koso outside of the top 20. We're going to just stick with, uh, with Wallstead though. What is it about Wallstead that uh, has you, uh, pegging him at 16?
6: Well, honestly, I, I tried my hardest. I'm going to tell you, I tried my hardest to bring him down when we were doing our team meeting for our final ranking, uh, Personal ranking, I have him at twenty nine, almost outside of the first round. Wow. And if this was the twenty twenty draft or the twenty twenty two draft, I'm not sure he would make it as a first rounder at all for me. Um there are I I do really like Casa. I do have Casa ahead of Wallsted. Not
5: on not on the recruit scouting list. You have Cosa at twenty one.
6: Yeah. Personal, I have Kosa at 17, which isn't far off 21, but I do like him All right. more than Wallstead anyways. Fair enough. Wallstead, however, there are a couple of things I look for in goalies. I have a pretty good judgment um, of goalies, and I'm not sure Wallstead really fits um, a top 10 or a top 15, maybe not even a top 20 pick in my opinion, and that's for a number of reasons. Uh, he does have the size. He's six foot three, I think, 214 pounds, and he covers the net very well. He's, there's no argument for me that he's one of the most poised defenders in this game. Um, he does a good job at, at hugging the posts, and I think that's important. But I think putting him in the top 10 is almost a, a disservice to how good his defenders were this year in the SHL, because they were constantly leading guys to the outside. And there were a lot of corner shots I felt that landed right to Wallstead's chest or just an easier save. Um, Looking into it analytically as well. uh, I believe Kosa expected goals against average. He was supposed to finish with over one more goal per game uh, than he actually finished with while Wallstead only finished at a 0.58 was supposed to be Um, more than he actually finished with, which is definitely good. But I just, I'm not sure it's what I'm looking for. I know he played in a difficult league like the SHL. um, But to me, I think he kind of reminds me of a Matt Murray type. um, And that as a backup, he's probably going to be a good backup. I'm not sure he can handle a a big game schedule each year. He's going to do well as a backup. But I think as a starter, He's probably not going to be a lead league in guy. Um, I think he's more of a 0. 0.900 save percentage to 0. 0.905 in the NHL if he was a starter, um, which I know some people have said, well, then why don't you have him lower? Because I really do think that he ends up reaching his potential. I think that's what Wallstead is going to be is a fringe starter or a very, very good backup. And I think that's worthy of a first-round selection in a draft like this still. Um, That's pretty much all I have to say about Wallstead. I'm not as high on him as the consensus. I'm okay with that, and I'm definitely okay if he proves me wrong as well.
5: Well, and you backed up uh, what you said too, so with some sound reasoning. So excellent stuff. Gavin, listen, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I'm glad that you were available. Uh, I'm glad uh, that we were able to meet like this, and I hope you don't mind if I call on you again next year.
6: Absolutely. Feel free to call me. Uh, This was the first time I've really been on a podcast. I've enjoyed myself. It was uh, was a blast. Thank you.
5: That was a recruit scouting, Gavin Chasson, who uh, started that program up, sharing some thoughts of his own on some of the guys that he likes for the 2021 NHL draft. And that uh, concludes this two-part episode, Bonanza with the Scouts as we pick their brains getting set for this weekend's NHL Draft. Now, there were some other guys that I reached out to who, for whatever reason, it didn't come to fruition. Uh, I know there will be people who are wondering why Mark Edwards or someone from HockeyProspect.com didn't come on this year, because they usually do. Uh, and, uh, and I'll explain the situation. Um, I did talk to Mark. Uh, he politely declined. Uh, he didn't want to uh, be in the same episode. He doesn't, he doesn't mind coming on the show when it's just him but he didn't want to be on with uh, other agencies and that's fine that's I have no problem with that I understand that what they do is different than what a lot of the guys that I just had on this week or last week do there is a different level of uh, of not professionalism but you know experience with with those guys and they just didn't want to be lumped in with somebody like and this isn't to be offensive to recruit scouting but it's a very brand new outfit and You know, a guy like Josh Tesler with with smart scouting uh, very early in their scouting careers. I understand it. If you don't understand or if you have a problem with it, that's you. Uh, But, uh, you know, I I opened the door and invited people on. Listen, a couple years ago, it was only scouts from Hockey Prospect that came on. And I did, you know, I had five or six segments and it would be all with different scouts from Hockey Prospect. And so I I have no problem with uh, their decision. Uh, and uh, I hope that they'll be coming on next year throughout the season, as they did this year, as they have for the last number of years. This was just something they didn't want to do. That's okay. It would have been great to have them, but I hold no grudge against uh, Mark or any of the guys over there because they do a terrific job. And the Black Book, again, this year, he sent me a copy. Fantastic. If you haven't got it yet, go check it out, hockeyprospect.com. you still got time for the draft this weekend, and uh, get what, uh, in my opinion, is the... The benchmark uh, for independent scouting available to draft junkies like me and like probably like you. At the start of the show, we were talking about Logan May, you and uh, you had the poll question about whether you would want your team or if you were running a team, would you draft them? The uh, the poll results come back. About 65% say no, uh, they would pass on him and about 35% say yes, they would still uh, take him. Uh, It seems to be a moot point because he has put out a release now that says uh, he doesn't want anybody to draft him uh, this year in 2021 uh, and that he'll take the next year and uh, try to work on his reputation and uh, do everything. Hopefully that means he'll also make reparations for his victim. Uh, That would go a long way in, I think, building trust with everybody in the hockey community and and would show that he has grown and matured. Um, So I think it was a calculated decision but one I probably support him making uh, because I think there was a good chance he wouldn't get drafted this weekend and then there would be a lot of questions about you know why and things so I I think this was smart for him to do this up front and hopefully over the next year before next year's draft uh, he does what he should all right, and with that, it is cleanup time. Of course, a reminder to if you haven't got a bidet yet, I don't know why you haven't uh, gotten a bidet yet. Go to hellotushy.com slash pipeline. Automatic 10% off for using pipeline in the URL. And uh, get it sent to you. Get it set up. And you'll understand what, why I keep mentioning it. It's so much better uh, than just using toilet paper all the time. And you go through way less TP. You'll actually pay, It'll pay for itself in over a two or three month period and it's way better. You go to a house that doesn't have a bidet and you're like, "Ah, it's like I've gone back in time. Stop wiping and start washing your butt. It's way better for you. It's better for the environment and you'll thank me once you get your bidet from hellotushy.com slash pipeline. right. this weekend it is the NHL Draft. Next week, here on the Pipeline Show, we'll recap what happens this weekend and uh, we'll have either one, maybe two guests. I have a couple of guys in mind or a couple of guests in mind rather. And then uh, I'm going to be gone for about 10 days. Come back. That means next week's show is the end of season 16. First show when I come back, the start of season 17. So lots to look forward to over the next little bit. But of course, the big NHL draft is this weekend. Wherever you are watching it, I hope you enjoy the draft. And I hope you'll be back next week to recap it all with me here on the Pipeline Show. Brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. My name's Keith Flaming, everybody. See ya.